This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side, Dr. Matt here, your coach, helping you do what we can on this program to grow healthier, happier lives. Good morning. Welcome to the program. Man, we got a great show for you today lined up. Uh, one of my favorite interviews. We'll be talking um, with, we uh, recently had an interview with um, Dr. Gary Chapman, the author of the book, The Five Love Languages. He's going to, uh, we're going to be replaying that interview um, where he was talking about anger, another book that he has. Interesting. Five love languages. You know, love is great, but if you're not going to have love and you can't feel love, then anger. Let's talk about anger. An incredible interview, just helping you deal with your anger or the anger of somebody else in your life. So we'll be getting to that in just a few moments. Also, man, holy cow, it's happening. Weird, weird political news today. Uh, You know, Hillary Clinton is, um, she's dropping in the polls. Is this the craziest thing? Remember, she was just leading, taking everybody by storm. But uh, lo and behold, Bernie Sanders, in a new poll out of Boston, the Boston Herald FPU poll, shows that uh, Bernie Sanders is leading Clinton, Hillary Clinton, in New Hampshire by about 7%. That's crazy. That is crazy. But it probably has something to do with the fact that Hillary Clinton is now in some trouble on that, on her server, on her email server, and in fact is now agreed to turn over the server to this investigation that's going on. So far, they have found two top secret emails. Two out of four. Out of four that they've targeted, which were out of 40 that were kind of had some secret information out of the 50,000 that are yet to be vetted or are being vetted. So Hillary Clinton is in trouble. Who'd have thunk it? Meanwhile, Trump, the numbers have come in for Trump as well. And uh, if you're not sick of Trump yet, one interesting thing about uh, the latest polls um, in the presidential election is that Trump's numbers are dropping. He used to have like an 11-point lead. Now he's down to a 7-point lead in some polls, down to a 5, as low as a 5-point lead. His his disapproval ratings are also going up as well. So the debate, although he is the Teflon Don, they say, his numbers are still, uh, you know, you can't say everything. Apparently you're going to offend some people. So interesting stuff. Jeb Bush, by the way, his numbers are dropping as well. This is just crazy town. You know who's doing better, and it actually is validating what happened in the um, Kasich is now third in the race in New Hampshire. Trump, Bush, Kasich, which is a huge deal. So Kasich came from three points uh, up to 12 points. Man! Yeah, he barely made that 10-person primetime debate. Isn't that amazing? And And Carly Fiorina's picking up. She went, I think, from two points or something to nine, so she's up now. Which says the debates matter. They matter. And did you see Megyn Kelly? Her cable show Monday night was like the top rated cable show. Was it really? So well, it didn't, yeah. didn't affect her. No, she's in fact, and that, that's just, that's crazy. 
They hate being no news person wants to be the story. Mm. I mean, they don't. Some do. They want the attention, (laughs) but they don't want the story to be all about them. That is crazy town. This is what's fun about politics. And uh, Perry is not paying staffers. We talked about that's yesterday. Right, yeah. You talked about yeah. that in the headlines. Yeah. So still going though. They say he's still, he's still gonna go. going. Yeah, we're going to do it. Know, but we'll that's usually volunteers. you know that's the death. Yep. That's, that's the, the death first now. sign. Yeah. Once you're not paying people, not that's good. why. Yeah, see, the deal is, if you never start paying them, then they don't know. That's how we keep all of our people around here. <laughs> that's why uh, we're still here, right? That's why you're all just kidding. We pay everybody. <laughs> We're giving Ben donuts today. You brought in donuts I for Ben. I did. I, you know, I said yesterday bagels, but I thought Ben's a Ben's a chocolate donut guy. He's and a these chocolate are donut the guy. best chocolate. These donuts. are the best yes, chocolate donuts yes. in the world. Yes, they are. And there's just enough for me to have five, <laughs> and Ben to have one. I do have another half dozen on my desk, so you're okay. Okay. Eat as many as you want. That was so close. Because we made a deal. <laughs> ben was going to bring macadamia nuts. You were going to bring donuts or bagels, and I was going to bring water. Mm-hmm. So. You had the tough assignment. I, I, You're that one in the family where they go, bring the utensils. Yeah, you that's know, me, we'll actually. Bring, yeah. My sisters <laughs> bring all the utensils. food, and they're like, Matt, yeah. just bring napkins. <laughs> so where's the water? Well, I, I'm, gonna, I'm chilling it. Oh, okay. It's in the chiller. Yeah, we're chilling it. I, I like You know, with these water. donuts, you have to have milk. A good cold glass of milk with a oh, chocolate donut. So oh, good. I can't wait. We need to get Save an intern, and we'll send the intern over to get milk. Mm. Good stuff. Let's go to Kathy, find out what else is going on in the headlines. Well, Matt, as you mentioned, Hillary Clinton's campaign saying it's turning over her private email server to the Justice Department while a thumb drive has already been handed in. According to the Senate Judiciary Committee, two of four classified messages on that drive were labeled top secret. Chairman of the Judiciary Committee Chuck Grassley said turning over the server was a welcome development, while Clinton aides said the emails that were classified were given that label after the fact. Washington Post reporter Carol Lenning said this is a distraction for her campaign. She's supposed to be talking about the issues and how she's going to be a great choice for the leader of our country, but now the news is filled with questions about whether or not she has put some national information in jeopardy. Speaking of Clinton, a new poll shows she now trails Bernie Sanders in New Hampshire 44 to 37 percent. Five months ago, Clinton led Sanders 44 percent to just 8 percent. This is the first poll that shows Clinton trailing Sanders in the race for president. No violence or arrests were reported last night in Ferguson, Missouri, following several nights of protests following the anniversary of Michael Brown's death. A total of 150 people have been arrested around the area during several days of unrest. Yesterday, police released surveillance video they say shows Tyron Harris apparently pulling a weapon from his waistband before he was shot and wounded by police on Sunday. A state of emergency could be lifted for St. Louis County as soon as today. A U.S. military helicopter crashed today off the Japanese island of Okinawa. Seven people were injured on a Black Hawk helicopter when performing a hard deck landing. Seven people were on, 17 people were on board. The seven injured were taken to a nearby U.S. Naval Hospital. A police officer in Arlington, Texas, was fired after fatally shooting a black teenager last week during a break-in at an area car dealership. Officer Brad Miller was still in training at the time of the shooting. The investigation continues and will be sent to the district attorney's office for possible submission to a grand jury. An autopsy revealed the five-year-old Arizona boy who went missing during a family camping trip died of exposure. Gerald Williams wandered away chasing grasshoppers last Thursday, and his body was found four days later. Officials say due to cold and wet weather, the boy most likely did not make it through the first night. 
And a Florida news anchor, Matt, apparently couldn't care less about keeping up with the Kardashians. John Brown stormed off the set during a live broadcast because he didn't want to read a story about the family. The story was the fact Kylie Jenner has a new bunny, and she named it him Bruce. That's the former name of her father, who is now Caitlin. Right? right. So Bruce is the is the name of her new bunny. John <laughs> Brown said, I don't care about this family. It's a non-story. Then he's heard screaming off camera, nobody cares about this family anymore. Brown later posted a video apologizing on Facebook saying he was sorry he lost his mind a bit and said it was partially in jest. But I think more most people are kind of sick of their Oh, man. I would storm off right now just for you doing a story about a guy <laughs> storming off. But the, honestly, it's true. It is true. It's ama- I think they said um, – I just went blank. Who's the main Kardashian? Kim. Kim Kardashian has, I mean, tens of thousands of followers on Facebook and Twitter. It just – I don't understand like, it. I really don't. What – why? What – Good question. What – I don't even know what to <laughs> ask. But my – when I have – when that show is on in my home – I have to walk out. It's on in your home? Yeah. You've literally let someone turn that on? Well, it's well. there's one person that seems to run our home. And that, her name is? Uh, her name is Marty, and <laughs> she's my wife. And she, uh, I, th- I think she likes it because it's a train wreck, and it makes our family look like heaven. You know, it is a train wreck, but it's so set up. I mean, I think people go, oh. this is real. Oh, yeah. Come on. Well, and it's almost like mommy Kardashian, <laughs> she'll sell her kids to do anything. Oh, no doubt. It's crazy. That is scary. Yeah, that's it's, well. It's scary that our society is okay with watching things like this. To well, yeah. me, I just think oh. it's just so weird. And then the breakups and the, I mean, the men they're bringing in. It's so sad. It's a, but I guess that's probably what people like is oh, we're not as messed up. Yeah, as them. <laughs> we're normal like them. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And then oh, that's interesting that she named her dog Bruce. Bunny. Bunny. Sorry, bunny. <laughs> See, you were so Actually, interested in the story, dog, you told now me it's a bunny. paying attention. <laughs> Named it Bruce. That's cute. Ah, oh, Bruce. Uh, well, you know, so Bruce Jenner, doesn't go I'm by Bruce you. anymore. I guess she wanted to name somebody Do you Bruce. remember the Wheaties box? Oh, and the, he was, he was so good looking. He was bigger. He was a stud. They say he was as big as Muhammad Ali. Yeah, he was big. He was and yet, amazing. Yeah, isn't that amazing? And, and, and I mean, big. So mm-hmm. he he really, this is that's a huge story. He went from the biggest athlete in the world, and and then to that ESPN, the ESPY Awards. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? I mean, it's amazing. I do. I'm going to not say anything more. Uh, interesting. Very, I mean, it's just really, it's, this world, I mean, I'm telling you. By the way, I forgot to mention, in the Iowa poll, guess who's third? Ben Carson. He really went up, for sure, ben after Carson, that debate. Ben Carson, third in the, Iowa, in the Iowa poll. And by the way, that's the Iowa uh, Republican Presidential Caucus. He's up to third now. Mm. Which is amazing. I think that's cool. Because all these people that, by the way, all the people that were kind of counted out, kind of sneaking up. And really what that means is Bush and Walker and some of those others aren't, they're not performing. Well, it'll be interesting. Um, This race is really just beginning. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a long race because some of those have a lot more money to to survive. Like poor Perry. Everything. Perry doesn't, he's run out of money. You can do anything with money, right? Yep. Yep. Not really. There's some things you just can't buy, right? You can buy looks. You can buy donuts for Ben. But we could give Ben all the money we want, and Ben's still going to Hawaii tomorrow, tonight, tomorrow. We're going to miss you, Ben. We're going to miss you. I don't care. Aloha, oi. Aloha, oi. We should sing Aloha, oi, shouldn't we?
We should, um, we'll have a little closing song. We'll sing out Ben on his way to Hawaii. We'll take a break when we come back. Uh, one of my favorite interviews um, with a wonderful, wonderful human being. And uh, you know him as Dr. Gary Chapman, author of the book, The Five Love Languages. Today he's going to be reviewing another book about anger and how we can all manage our anger a lot better. Maybe those, some of those leaders in the political races, maybe they ought to be listening to today. Anger 101. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. One of my favorite uh, books in the field of marriage and family relationships, The Five Love Languages, How to Express a Heartfelt Commitment to Your Mate, was written by our next guest, Dr. Gary Chapman, who he's, he's been a marriage counselor. He, he has his Ph.D., but I think more importantly, he just... He just is doing everything he can uh, in his life to help improve the lives and the marriages of of people. Uh, Dr. Gary Chapman is a national uh, marriage, uh, you know, counselor, well known. And uh, today we asked him to come back. He was with us a few months ago, and we asked him to come back to talk about another book that he's written called "Anger: Taming a Powerful Emotion." which was uh, re-released in 2015. Dr. Gary Chapman, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thank you, Matt. It's good to be with you again. Good to, good to have you. I really, truly respect uh, just what you do and how you do it. And I was so excited to have you come back to talk about the book Anger because we see so much of it in our world today. Don't you feel like it's it's almost escalating? I think it is, uh, Matt. And uh I think uh, many people don't know how to handle anger. Yeah. And that's why I wrote the book. You know, I just feel like that we have to learn how to channel anger into a positive way rather than letting the anger control us and uh, doing things that make things even worse. Mm-hmm. So much of anger, it's just natural, right? But what's it for? Why, why do we get to a point where anger is the emotion? Well, you know, I think, uh, I think anger is designed uh, to be a positive thing. I know that when we think of anger, we often think of anger as being negative. In fact, some people don't even want to admit that they're angry when they are. Yeah, totally. <laughs> because they think, what's wrong to be angry? You right. Know? Uh, I'll say in my office sometimes, uh, it sounds to me like you're angry about this. And they'll say, no, no, I'm not angry. <laughs> I, I, I'm just disappointed. You know? Yeah, <laughs> they, they'll <laughs> put some hurt. other name on they it. They don't want to use the word anger because they think that's wrong. You know, Anger is panhuman. All humans experience anger. And I think it's because we have deep within us a sense of right and wrong. Mm. And when the sense, when our sense of right is violated, we feel angry. Interesting. And I believe the purpose of anger is to motivate us to try to deal with whatever we think is wrong, you know, and do it in a positive way. Uh, you know, that, that's why, Matt, I, I understand, uh, you know, the outbursts of anger in different segments of our society today. Yeah. Uh, but it's sad that people allow that anger to be expressed in destructive ways. You know, all great social reform really grew out of anger. Sure. If you look at the slavery movement in this country, when did it finally end? Yeah. When enough people got angry and said, this is not right. We're this not doing not this. Right. You know, yeah, and Wilberforce and others in England and others here, eventually that chapter in our in our history was closed. But 
but it's unfortunate that when we see things in society that stir our anger, that we often let the anger control us and we do destructive things and make the situation even worse. And so that's why you sense it really can it's a it's a positive thing. The emotion anger is it's not good or bad. It's it's designed really to get you to act, but then you need to act healthy. Yeah, that that's right. And the same thing is true in personal relationships. Let's face it, you know, uh we are wronged from time to time individually. Sure. Things happen. You know, people say things that are unkind, and people do things that are wrong toward us and toward others in, in our circle of uh, acquaintances. And whenever that happens, we experience anger. Mm-hmm. And the purpose is to motivate us to go to the other person and say, look, you know, I really need to talk with you because I'm, I'm feeling angry, and maybe I've misunderstood the situation. But uh, here, let me let me share this with you. And yeah. Let me get your response. You know, it's a positive thing. We reach out to try to reconcile uh, and to, to deal with the issue that stimulated the anger. And when we do it in a positive way, then, you know, the relationship it can go on. We can deal with the issue and we can move on down the road. Yeah. You know, it's such an interesting thing you're bringing up because in South Carolina, the shootings that we saw and experienced in that church had everybody in the world has reason to be angry. And yet as a cult, as a community, they turned it into something that instead of just anger, they turned it into something that was profoundly um, beautiful. Yeah. A love yeah, and, and a healing. Is, right. That is one example. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, a, in the many. I mean, really. Where people responded in a negative way. Yeah. How many, how many other times, yeah, do we end up turning into yeah. riots or whatever? Yeah. I mean, but that was right. just beautiful. And part of that, too, it gets into a little bit about your book. You, you In the book, you, you use a lot of Scripture. You use a lot of the Bible to to talk about managing the anger. And it seems like there's a really kind of a natural way to use your belief system uh, in God or in a higher power to manage the anger. Well, I think so. I think, first of all, if we understand that we are made in the image of God— Therefore, we have a sense of right, yeah. which animals don't have, you know, but yeah. all humans have a sense of right. And, and we are, so we're made in God's image. You'll, you'll understand more where anger comes from if you understand that. And then secondly, uh, you know, the Bible has a lot of instruction about anger. Uh, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, being angry, sin not. Hmm. Notice carefully, not a sin to feel yeah. angry, but when you do feel angry, be careful. Yeah, don't go it's crazy. It's easy to sin when you're angry, yeah. and all of us have experienced that. You totally. know, we lash out, or we, we push and shove, or throw things at people, and, you know, that's negative. So the warning is, uh, when you're angry, be careful and don't sin. So we need to talk about, you know, how do we how do, we do that? Yeah. And then it also says, don't, that same verse, it says, don't let the sun go down on your mm. anger. In other words, we're supposed to process anger rather quickly. Now, I assume, Matt, if you get angry after dark, we'll give you till midnight, okay? <laughs> That's right, yeah, because at midnight we've got to go to bed and clean this up. But it's true, yeah, though, yeah, huh? Yeah, you yeah. don't want Because you can carry it, but it almost seems like anger, you can't carry anger unless you keep kind of feeding the fire. Yeah, what will happen is if you don't deal with anger, if you don't process anger, you keep it inside. And a lot of people think this is healthy. You know, they'll say, well, or they even say, well, this is the Christian way. You, mm. know, you hold anger inside. No, 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 no. Uh, anger was meant to be a visitor, mm. not a resident. That's great. And if you hold anger inside, it will turn to bitterness and eventually hatred. And you will live with this desire to see that other person suffer for what they did to me. Yeah. And, and then it eats you from the inside out. Right. You know, yeah. 
So we have to learn how to deal with anger, process anger, and not hold it inside. That's always detrimental. You you actually ter- you have a different term um, for anger, two terms, definitive anger and distorted anger. And I think it's important to distinguish between these two. Definitive anger is when someone has wronged you or wronged someone else. You know, the, whatever's happened is mm-hmm. wrong, definitely wrong. That's definitive anger. But we have a lot of distorted anger. And that is we get angry because, simply because the other person did not do what we thought they ought to do mm. or uh, they, you know, failed us in some way in our, in our mind. But when you really look at it and ask yourself, did they do wrong? Yeah, no. No, it wasn't wrong. You know, I give an example. I don't know if this is in the book or not, but sometimes I give this example. Uh, my wife, let's say, volunteers and says, honey, I'll take your shirts to the laundry if you put them on the gold chair. I said, oh, honey, that'll be good. That'll mm-hmm. help me. So I put them on the gold chair. I go off to work. I come back that night. I walk in, and those dirty shirts are still in the chair. <laughs> and this anger grabs me. Can't trust the woman. <laughs> what is her problem? <laughs> She's a liar. <laughs> yeah. So I ask people, did she sin against me? Did she do wrong? Mm. And, and and one will someone will say, well, yeah, man, she lied to you. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but I say I doubt it. Yeah, I have an I have a, uh, an idea that if I say to her, "Honey, my shirts," she will say, "Oh, honey, I am so I sorry. Totally I forgot. totally forgot. Yeah. forgot about it." And I say, "Forgetting is not a sin. Right. Forgetting is human. All of us." Uh, from time to time, forget things. So yeah. uh, a lot of our anger falls in that category. Do you sense, I, I always hear that anger is like a secondary emotion, not like it comes from something else. Have you heard that? Well, I think it's often tied to other things. Uh, for example, like guilt. Hurt. Yeah. You hurt, you know, it grows out of hurt. And that's why people, I, I think, sometimes say, I'm not angry, I'm just hurt. You mm-hmm. know? So I think hurt and disappointment, there, there are a lot of emotions that surround anger. But the very heart of anger is this is this emotion that pushes you uh, kind of against that person. Yeah. You know, whereas kindness pushes you toward the person. Anger pushes you either to run away from the person or to fight the person. Yeah. Uh, that, those, those are typical responses. I, I notice, too, that um, sometimes when I'm most angry, it's when I'm when I'm in a sin or when I'm doing something not right. Like when when my wife brings up. You know that I need to be home more, yeah. And I get I'm tr- I'm trying to make a living, and I get angry, and it's really more that I feel guilty because yeah, I do need to be home more. Yeah, and, and a lot of it is you know we feel that we get defensive because it strikes at our self esteem. Yeah, you know, and, and anytime something strikes at our self esteem, uh, we feel defensive toward the person. And defensiveness is is a, is, is a cousin to anger, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's that thing that pushes us to kind of lash back at the person. Yeah, good stuff. We're going to take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Gary Chapman, author, speaker, pastor, counselor, and uh, author of, he's just a best-selling author, but one of the ones I'm sure you've heard of is the book called The Five Love Languages, which has changed so many lives. And uh, today we're talking about anger in his new book, Anger, Taming a Powerful Emotion, his new old book. Um Anyway, great stuff, great insight. We'll take a break, come back, and start getting some tools and some solutions to tame that powerful emotion of anger. Stick with us, folks. More with Gary Chapman after the break.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us uh, is a New York Times bestseller, uh, best-selling author, Dr. Gary Chapman. Just an all-around great guy. Uh, talking today about his book, Anger, Taming a Powerful Emotion. Um, he's also written the book, obviously, The Five Love Languages. And if you go to his website, fivelovelanguages.com, you can get access to all of his books. Gary has been very, very, very busy writing books. It is amazing, Gary. How do you do it? How have you put together so many books? Do you ever sleep? You know, man, I look back and ask myself, when did I write these books? I know you're like, <laughs> but it really is cool. I, I sit there because I, I have so many ideas in my head for books, but I can't sit down and do it. So you must, you're, you must just have a really patient wife. Well, well, maybe that's true. I mean, that is true, and our kids are gone too. That helps. Okay, does that help? You know? <laughs> is it is it easier when you're a little older, Gary, to sit and write, and or is it harder? Well, I think it's easier because you have more life experience. Yeah, you're rich. Of, yeah, you know. Yeah, and as and as I said, the kids are gone, so you don't have to be thinking about them. You know, but, or you think about them, but yeah, they're yeah. not in the house anymore. That's right. And you can <laughs> even you know go spend two or three hours a day writing. But really, anybody just go to the website Five Love Languages, and then look up under his books. Literally, I don't know how many twenty. 30 books or something. Well, over, over 30. I yeah. don't know how many exactly. It myself. just keeps going and going. It's yeah. awesome. And then the one we're talking about today is anger, taming a powerful emotion. Um, Gary, talk to me about what what am I supposed to do to start to tame this emotion, to, to kind of knock it down so it doesn't own me? Well, I think the first thing, Matt, is to acknowledge that you are angry. You know, we talked about this yeah. in this first segment. People have to acknowledge they're angry. And then secondly, I think you have to learn how to restrain your immediate response mm. because your immediate response will likely be negative. Right. Uh, and there's different ways to do that. You know, when I was coming up, my mother said to me, son, when you get angry, count to 10 uh-huh. before you do anything. Right. You know, many mothers have said that. Yeah. And I say, uh, mother was on the right track. But I suggest you count to a hundred. Yeah, I do too. And I always (laughs) suggest backwards by sevens from a million. That's just a way to to give you time to calm down, to think through. You know what would be a positive thing to do here. Uh, One lady told me she said I I decided that when I feel anger, I'm going to go water my flowers. Hmm. She said the first summer I did that, I almost drowned my petunias. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. uh, You know, you find a way. Uh, I say to couples in my marriage seminars that I lead across the country, I say, you know, you can just call time out. You can use the time out sign that they use in athletic games. You know, just put the two hands together. Mm -hmm. And and that means I'm about to lose it. And I don't want to lose it. So, you know, give the time out sign, start counting and walk out. That's great. You You don't suggest we blow a whistle, though, do you? Seems like the whistle might make someone mad and point at the other. Yeah. You know, Matt, some people tell me when I share this concept, they say, well, I can't do that. You know, I get angry, it mm-hmm. just comes out, and I can't stop it. And I say, I think you can, and sometimes you do. And I give this example. I say, have you mothers ever lost it with your children, and you're giving it to them, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and the telephone rings? And what do you do? Hello. You're oh, nice hello, again. Mary. Yeah. Oh, yes, we're fine, Mary. How are you? Right, right. You can switch. <laughs> we stopped it in the middle of the flow. Right. So, you know, we can do it. And the challenge is to, to learn how to do that. Give yourself time to slow down. Then, while you're walking around out of the room, taking a little walk, you reflect. 
on what happened that stimulated your anger. Mm. And this is where you're asking yourself the question, is what happened wrong? Did they really sin against me? Did they commit a wrong? Or is it simply I didn't get my way? That's because great. those are the two kinds of anger, definitive anger and distorted anger. And if it, you realize that you simply didn't get your way or they didn't do it on your timetable, then you can you can deal with that. You know, I, I say take it to God and just say, you know, Lord, forgive me for being so selfish, so self-centered that I would get bent out of shape over something like that. Now, you can still go back and negotiate with your spouse, you know, in, in terms of how might we do this differently if it's a, if it's a, if you're angry at your spouse. Uh but if it's definitive anger, if, if they did wrong to you, whether it's a spouse or anyone else, then uh, scriptures are very clear. You're to go to that person and lovingly confront them Yeah, you not, share your anger with them. Not avoid uh, it, right? You, you need to go right. get it out of you. Right. I, I suggest that people put uh, these words on a three-by-five card, and I suggest this in the book. Here, here's the word yeah. right on the card. I'm feeling angry right now, but don't worry. I'm not going to attack you. But I do need your help. Is this a good time to talk? Mm. You put it on the refrigerator, and any time you get angry with a family member, you go get the card, you stand in front of them, and you read the card. There you go, yeah. <laughs> now imagine your teenager standing in front of you reading this card, okay? <laughs> it brings a little uh, humor into it, but it also is a way uh, for a family to teach each other how to handle anger how to go to the person that you're angry with and acknowledge that you're not going to attack them, but you do need their help, and so you get the conversation started. So whatever method you do, we have to learn how to, I say, lovingly confront. You don't want to go, you know. Take them on, right. That's right, no. But you you want to, maybe you did misunderstand it. And maybe the person will give you an explanation and your anger will subside. Hmm. On the other hand, maybe what you think happened did happen. And they have a chance to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Is that how you forgive? I mean, is that, is it the process of this, Gary, that allows me to let it go? Um, Or what happens? Yeah, I think it is. Forgiveness is a response to a sincere apology. You know, this is this is what happens between us and God. You know, if you do wrong, the scriptures say confess it to God and he forgives you. Yeah, you know? yeah. And uh, so I think forgiveness is a response to, uh, to a, an apology. Now, people say, well, can't you just forgive people even though they don't apologize? Well, I'd rather you, I'd rather, rather than using the word forgive, I'd rather say you release that person. I like that. Now, if you want to use the word forgive, it's okay. Uh, you release that person to God and you release your anger to God. And essentially what you're saying is, you know, I've gone to them, I've confronted them, uh, they deny it or they say it wasn't wrong uh, or whatever, and you just say, you know, Lord, I don't want to live with this anger inside of me. Hmm. I want to turn it over to you, and I want to turn the person over to you. And when you put someone in the hands of God, you're putting them into one who is both loving and just. Yeah, yeah. If that person, If that person ever confesses, then God will forgive them. If they don't, the Bible says God is the ultimate judge. You know, and he he will judge sin. So I think we uh, we have to recognize that we don't have to live with the anger inside. We do everything we can to reconcile, but if if they won't reconcile, then we simply release them and release our anger to God. Do I do you always hear the phrase forgive and forget? Yeah. Do is is forgetting realistic, or is that just a blessing, a, a tender mercy? I, I think forgetting is not too realistic. Uh, uh, I don't think that old saying is true. Yeah. Everything that's ever happened to us is recorded in the brain. 
Yeah, right. And, For, and it though, should be, or you're you're getting dementia, right? I mean, you right. need this memory. Yes, yes, and the memory will come back. Even after they've confessed yeah. or apologized, and after you forgive them, the memory will come back. And when the memory comes back, often the anger comes back, the emotion comes right. back. And uh, what do we do with that? I think, again, we say to ourselves, we say to the person, we say to God, whomever's involved here, you know, yes, you know what I'm remembering today. And yes, I'm feeling anger again. I'm feeling hurt again. But that's been forgiven. Mm-hmm. Therefore, help me to do something good today and not be controlled by the pain I'm feeling right now. And it, so, and it seems like when God was, in, if he's involved in it and you feel the peace of it, over time, that memory will turn probably to a healthy moment of you getting closer to God. Yeah, I think the memory diminishes. Yeah, it changes. Years, you know, yeah. And you you realize what God has done for us. Yeah. <laughs> Man, how much he's forgiven us, you mm-hmm. know. And so you're you're willing to let it go, and the memory and the memory is not a sharp memory anymore. No, it's so it's such a it's such a blessing if we can get to that point, or when we can. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Gary Chapman, uh, author of the book of the Five Love Languages, and also the book Anger: Taming a Powerful Emotion. Uh, Dr. Chapman, talk to us about the kids because it seems like the perfect place to model this, and even model those steps of acknowledging and restraining and timing it out and reflecting. It seems like it's the kids that would be a beautiful place to to teach this with our family. Well, it is. And, and the children who learn how to handle anger when they're young will have less trouble uh, mismanaging their anger when they get to be old. Uh, but I would say this, Matt. Children learn best from our own behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, you know, if a parent says to me, my, my son or daughter is yelling and screaming at me, I ask, where did they learn that? Right. You have yelled and screamed at them. I remember a 13-year-old who sat in my office, a young man, and he said, my father yells and screams at me, telling me to stop yelling and screaming at him. (laughs) (laughs) So I I say to parents, and I I speak out of personal experience here because I remember when I, I wasn't handling my anger very well with my teenage son. And I remember the day I said to him, Derek, you know, I'm not doing a good well, I'm, I'm not doing very well handling my anger. And I said, and you're, you're following my example. And I said, so why don't we learn how to do this? Uh, so the next time you feel angry, why don't you just say to me, Dad, I'm feeling angry. Can we talk? And I'll sit down and listen to you, and we'll deal with it. And mm. so the next time I feel angry towards you, I'll say the same thing. You know, I'm feeling angry. Can we talk? And we began to learn how to process anger in a positive way. And I think many parents uh, have to begin by apologizing to their yeah. children. And just say, I haven't handled this very well, but I'd like to learn how, and let's learn it together. In fact, you've written an entire book on apologizing. Yes, I have. It's called When Sorry Isn't Enough. Yeah. And it deals with how to apologize. These are also basic human issues, aren't they? This is just being human. Well, it is, Matt. And, you know, all of my books uh, basically grow out of uh, my counseling ministry through the years. For over 35 years mm. now, I've been counseling couples and families, and, and so my books grow out of that because the, the, the things we struggle with as humans are, are common to yeah. all of us, you know. And uh, I, I just believe if we can learn how to handle some of these basic things like anger and apologizing, uh, it's going to get us far down the road in having healthy families, which is what all of us would like to have. Absolutely. Well, what do you see, Gary, as a grandpa— as a dad, uh, I mean, what what do you see happens to you 
as you get older, as you age, does does anger does it stay the same level? Do you tend to just naturally manage it better? Does it seem to get worse? How does that go as we age? You know, Matt, it's different, of course, with every person. You would like to think that as we get older, we get wiser. Yeah, you'd think so. It's not <laughs> if happening. You're not learning, if you're not learning in the process, yeah. it doesn't necessarily get better. So all of us know older people who are cranky, who mm-hmm. are critical, you know, and all of us know older people who are kind and gentle and forgiving. and you know. So it's not just the passing of time. We have to do something to deal with these issues. And that's where I think books and conversations like we're having right now can stimulate people to say, you know, I I need to take some steps in the right direction here. And if we're moving in a positive direction, then, yes, with aging, we we become better at handling these things. So do you feel when I run into somebody, not literally – that would be bad. But when I just come across somebody that that's angry and they're angry at me, I guess you're suggesting the best way to kind of get going on that is just pull out that that note. I'm feeling angry or I can see you're feeling angry right now. Can we yeah. can we make this safe and talk about it? Yeah, I think so, Matt. You know, when when a person's angry with you, whether it's your teenager, your wife or your next door neighbor. Yeah. When someone's angry at you, it's because in their mind you have wronged them. So the best thing you can do is listen to them. Mm. Listen to them. And and even if they're yelling at you, listen to them. And parents say, wait a minute, I don't want my child to be yelling at me. And I say, I understand that. But right now you have to deal with the anger. So listen to them, even if they're screaming. And and, then ask questions. You know, is this what you're saying? Are you angry because da-da-da-da? And they say, well, that's part of it. And they give you the rest of it. You're trying to find out why they're angry. Then you can have an intelligent response. Yeah. You can say, you know, I, uh, I think I understand you. I think I see why you're angry. And if I were in your shoes, I'd probably be angry too. And you would be. Mm-hmm. If you had their personality and you were their age and you were looking at it like they were looking at it, you would feel angry. Yeah. So when you say that, you're no longer an enemy. You're a friend. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand. I would probably be angry also. Now, let me share with you what I was thinking, or let me share with you my perspective. And because you have listened to them, they're far more likely to listen to you, and you'll get the issue resolved. Yeah, and yeah, let me give you this, some other data you may not have known. Um, yeah, it's, right. it's powerful, too, because as you listen to them, you allow them to kind of vent the emotion of it while you increase your understanding. <laughs> So you're getting data, and you're also kind of diminishing their energy. Yeah, that's right. And then the next day, if it's a teenager, you can say to, to them, you know, uh, I think we got through that yesterday pretty well. you feel okay about it? Yeah. And then, it, see, and then you can say, why don't we learn how to do that without yelling at each other? Hey, next time, Let, can you not to... punch the wall? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. You, yeah. But you fix it later, right? You fix it later, and you understand right. it today. Yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful. Um Gary, as we wrap this up, give us what would you say is is the one thing? So if everybody could walk away remembering one thing from what Dr. Gary Chapman said about anger, what's the one thing that you you sense makes the biggest difference in managing? I would say I would say recognize first of all that anger is a gift. It's a part of being human and it's good that we have a sense of right and wrong. And then respect other people when they come at you in an angry way. Respect them as a person and know that if you were in their shoes, you'd be angry as well. And let's seek to process it, not hold it in. Don't explode and don't hold it in and implode, but learn how to process it in a positive way. Beautiful. 
Dr. Gary Chapman, again, an honor to be with you. You've got a great spirit. Thank you, Matt. Good to chat with you. You too. Keep up the great work. And everybody, go check out the website, 5, the number 5, lovelanguages.com, 5lovelanguages.com. Uh, just a great resource all around for everything you need in your marriage and uh, even your parenting as well. Good stuff, folks. We're going to take a break. I mean, isn't that interesting? Anger is a gift. Oh, but it feels so bad sometimes. No, it's a gift. It's a cue. It teaches you where you need to be, where you need to focus your attention. Great stuff. Uh, We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. We'll come back to a quick little coach's corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, a great interview with Dr. Gary Chapman about anger. And I guess one of the key takeaways is to remember that it's a choice in the end, what we're going to do with that emotion, right? That that, that initial uh, situation, the initial stimulus that drives you to, to get mad, to to want to react, that that's the stimulus, right? But you then get to decide what you're going to do with that, whether you turn that into more anger or you turn it into something else. I found a, an awesome example of this um, in a CBS News report out of Savannah, Georgia. And it was talking about a six-year-old Jaden Hayes who really has lived uh, every kid's worst nightmare. First, he lost his dad when he was four. And then his mo- uh, then last month, two years later, his mom died unexpectedly in her sleep. So at the age of six, he's lost his two parents. He said, I tried and I tried and I tried to get her awake, but I couldn't. And understandably, he was heartbroken. He said, anybody can die, just anybody. But there's another side to his grief, a side that he first made public a few weeks ago when he told his aunt and now guardian, um, Barbara DeCola, that he was sick and tired of seeing everyone sad all the time. And he had to plan to fix it. And his plan was simply he was going to... Um, he asked his aunt to go buy a bunch of little toys and bring them to him. And um, what he was going to do is he was going to start making, trying to make people smile by giving them toys. And he started to do it, and he targets people who aren't already smiling, and then he turns their day around. He's gone out on four different occasions now, and he's always successful, even if sometimes he doesn't get exactly the reaction he was hoping for. It's just so overwhelming to some people that a six-year-old orphan would go, uh, would give away a toy expecting nothing in return but a smile. Of course, he's paid handsomely in hugs, his aunt says, and some of the reactions that he's received are wonderful. She says, it's like sheer joy came out of this child, said Barbara, and the more people that, made him, that he made smile, the more his light has shone through. Jaden says that, um, he says, I'm still sad my mom died. And this by no means fix it, fixes it, but the smiles uh, have really have really made it matter. He says so far he has 500 smiles. That's how many smiles he's acquired so far. He says, I'm counting on it getting up to 33,000, said Jaden. When asked if he thinks he can make that goal, he answered, I think I can. Pretty cool. Again, a, a kid that six years old that could be angry has every reason in the world to be angry and instead just chooses to make people smile. 
And really, the interesting thing is maybe it does take kind of the innocence or the naivete of a child to let some things go. But he he doesn't let go his pain of his mom either. He misses her, and he loves her, and he wants her back, but knows it's not going to happen. People die, and he can make others smile. So I guess when it comes right down to it, let's just start making some choices. What, Where do you get to choose about your anger, your emotion, and what can you turn it into? Highly suggest uh, that you listen to the great words of um, our last guest and the great heart and spirit of Jaden and um, Jaden Hayes from Savannah, Georgia. Just changing the world and taking something that's difficult, that's hard, something he should be angry about, possibly has felt anger over, and instead turns it into sun, uh, sunshine and smiles. Cool stuff. We'll take a break. Hour number two coming up after the break. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy days. Hope you're ready for another one, another fun day of life, of your relationships, of love. It just never ends, does it? Some of your kids getting ready for school. How about that? You might be watching the news, looking at the headlines. Crazy stuff going on. But this just in. We could talk about stats about the new polls coming out in New Hampshire and Iowa. We could talk about some of the new polls about Trump numbers dropping a bit after the election. But no, not talking about any of that. Instead, for the first time in Major League Baseball history, all 14, no, 15. all 15 mm-hmm. home teams won their home game on the same day. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I- I kind of was surprised by that, that that had never happened before. I mean, that's a lot of time they've been playing oh, baseball. a lot of time. First time. You know, it's it's that they all won on their home turf, mm-hmm. which actually, I guess, is interesting, too, because it's home turf. Right. Of that's all places, that's you should so, be winning. Exactly. So that's why I'm surprised it has taken so long. Well, today's the day. Today's the day. What is today, by the way? Today is a great day uh, in in many regards. <laughs> Let me tell you what today is. Today, August 12th, Middle Child's Day. So if you're a middle child, today is your day. Oh, I'll have to send my middle child a, a notice. If you're tired today, of being yeah. bullied, if, you're, if you think your brothers and sisters are brutes, <laughs> if you think the, the child under you is spoiled, the child over you is a domineering <laughs> control freak. That's pretty much summing up my family. Today yes. is your day. Right. Middle Child Day today. Or it's also World Elephant Day, mm. which is a really great day. That is a good day. Uh, I personally prefer World Rhinoceros Day. I'm sure that's coming soon. It, it'll be here soon. <laughs> and this is really my favorite, Vinyl Record Day. Oh, yeah. You won't do you believe. Have any vinyl records? I do. I just got one. Uh, Don, just one? Yeah, Don Shaline, my boss. You only have one. I have one. Yeah, one. Wow. Well, I don't have anything to play him on. But Don Shaline, uh, who is a really, he just loves music. He came into my office the other day and he gave me a gift that I 
quickly got up on my wall in my office. Um, it's a vinyl of Millie Vanilli and their two songs that that they didn't sing that they didn't sing that they were famous for. <laughs> I mean, it's a collector's item. Oh, I was all excited. It was going to be some you no. know, great historical no. album. And no, well, hold, that yeah. is a well, historical. Well, that is kind of historical, well, and not in a good way. I don't want to brag, but I'm sure it's worth – I think Don said it's worth maybe. five grand. <laughs> yeah, Don said it was I worth, doubt it. I don't think Don would give something Don's, that's worth Don's that much loaded. Money. Oh, I know that. He's a manager. $5,000, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. Five grand, though. I'm pretty sure – I think he said five grand. Mm. Or maybe he said, wouldn't it be it great if it was yet? worth five oh, grand? Yeah, that's probably what he said. It's kind of like that. Vinyl Record Day. So take your pick. I, I, I like Vinyl Record Day. If I'm going to rank the day, Vinyl Record Day, number one, Middle Child Day, number two, World Elephant Day. Not that I have anything against elephants. Mm-hmm. So don't send emails. You, you're not a middle child, right? No, I'm the baby. Okay. Spoiled rotten. Yeah. They called me the golden child because everything I wanted, I had. Everything I wanted. And you're the only boy, right? And the only boy. There you go. Oh, wow. So I'm not, and, and gifted. Very much. And ripped. Very much. <laughs> Thank you. Ripped, gifted, and the baby. So, they, by the way, someday we'll have a ripped, gifted, and baby day. And, you know, but. All at the same time. Until then, we just, we just deal with you, middle children, all your problems. But before, uh, before we talk any more about that, oh, great, by the way. Do you know who we're talking to today on the show? I can't wait to hear. Her name is Suki Kim. She infiltrated North Korea. That sounds weird. She snuck into North Korea, basically, and she taught English in North Korea for six months. And she's here today to teach us how and what she learned. Like what really are – we think a lot of weird stuff about North Korea. She's here to teach us what is going on there for real. Wow. Can't wait to hear that. It's, uh, it's going to be pretty impressive. That would be great. So stick with us on that. And um, I don't know if you heard, just a little headline for you. North Korea, you know, they, they kind of think on their own. Mm-hmm. They don't care what the rest of us are doing. They are now going to turn their clocks back 30 minutes. I saw that. To establish th- their, their own, own time, time zone. zone. yeah. Which I didn't know you could do. <laughs> I but, don't think you can, yeah. but they did. Uh, on Friday, North Korea came up with its own typically idiosyncratic answer, announcing that for the, from the next week um, on, it will use its own unique time zone. Pyongyang said that um, that the country said that it will pull back its current standard time by 30 minutes. The move is a diplomatic salvo aimed squarely at Japan, the country's former colonial overlord. Local time in North and South Korea and Japan has been the same since Japan's rule over the single Korea between 1910 and 1945. And to make it Korea. even more weird, just 30 minutes instead of an hour. Yeah. yeah. What they should have done is made it about 37 minutes. That would, yes. Much <laughs> that would sense. mess everybody <laughs> up. <laughs> anyway, they're going to be calling it Pyongyang time, which is different than hang time. That's different. Much different. Pyongyang time. <laughs> anyway, interesting. Thumb in their nose at Japan. Interesting. And by the way, we do have a petition to change our our very own time zone here, mm-hmm. calling it town time. Town time, as in Townsend? Uh-huh. Okay. And what it is, it's just 20 minutes right after the show where we try to stop time. Let's have a moment of silence for you. That's a moment of deep contemplation and silence. 
That does sound good. A power nap. Power nap. Town time. 20 minutes is all I need. Anyway, let's go to the headlines, find out what Kathy has for us. The FBI has taken possession of thumb drives containing some of Hillary Clinton's emails. Clinton has also told campaign staffers to turn over her private email server that was used while she was Secretary of State. According to the Senate Judiciary Committee, two of four classified messages on that drive contain top-secret information. You may, may remember this from GOP presidential contender Scott Walker at last week's debate. It's sad to to think right now, but probably the Russian and Chinese government know more about Hillary Clinton's email server than do the members of the United States Congress. The controversy over her emails may be the reason her poll numbers are falling. For the first time in the Democratic presidential campaign, she trails Bernie Sanders in the polls. Her numbers show Sanders leads Clinton in New Hampshire 44 to 37 percent. Just five months ago, Sanders had 8 percent of Democratic support. Speaking of emails, Senator of State, uh, Secretary of State John Kerry said it's very likely his emails are being read by officials in China and Russia. Kerry's comments come after several hacking incidents that are believed to have been carried out by foreign countries. A police officer in Arlington, Texas, was fired after fatally shooting a black teenager last week. Security cameras reportedly show 19-year-old Christian Taylor walking around a car dealership and damaging vehicles. According to Police Chief Will Johnson, Officer Brad Miller, who was in training at the time, exercised poor judgment, which led to shots being fired inside the showroom. The incident is under further investigation. Taylor's death came two days before the anniversary of the death of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, that town which has seen several nights of protests which led to 150 arrests could have its state of emergency lifted today. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady are set to meet with a federal judge in New York today. The judge yesterday asked both sides to engage in a good faith settlement as Brady is looking to have his four-game suspension due to deflate gate erased. The NFL wants the judge to rule Goodell acted within his authority. If the two parties can't work out an agreement today, the next court date is next week. Both sides hope to have some resolution before the season opens September 10th. Speaking of football, Matt, the annual list of the worst computer passwords is out. And, Ooh. Matt, it looks like you need to stop using the word football uh, when logging into your computer. That's yikes. the 10th worst password, according to Splash Data. <laughs> Number football. nine, Dragon. Uh. Number eight, Baseball. Mm-hmm. Number seven, one, two, three, four. <sighs> Number six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh. Number five, QWERTY. Number oh, four, yeah. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Number three, one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> number two, the word password. And number one, one, two, three, four, five, six. I can't believe people really still do that. I can't believe I've used every one of those. I know. That's why I'm saying, yeah, football, though, you, it's got to go. That's my list of passwords. Yeah. But they say don't use your favorite sports, okay. your birthday. What about like my just saying Matt's password? That would be good. You could do that. That's good. No yeah. one, no one would no guess one would get that. that. Your birthday, popular children's names or swear words. Also not recommended, famous athletes, car brands, and film names. What about Love Machine? Because that's the one Ben uses. Yeah. that's Maybe you could steal, steal it and say Matt's yeah. Love Machine. Well, he actually uses Hawaiian Love Machine. Yeah. North Shore Love Machine. <laughs> yeah, so you, you could just have Love Machine 21 because I'm sure there are. Twenty other ones. Yeah, I'm pretty there. The big Kahuna. You used yeah. to use that one, and the little Kahuna. So, so how do you know all my passwords, dude? I'm He's a hacker. I'm talent. Oh, okay. <laughs> T- talent at BYU Radio. We know everything. Okay. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, everyone in the everyone everyone in the company knows your password because you have it taped right there above your computer. <laughs> Big Kahuna. Well, that's my personal desk. I didn't think people were going to look at. Well, it's it. only your personal desk for about four hours a day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And three hours There's you're in here. Several people on that desk during the True. day. Anyway, all the all the other producers, we've told you this, all the other producers think the big kahuna is the big deal. And so they've been looking in your password and checking your emails, finding out who you're talking to. Yeah. They they we all know you have a great relationship with your mom. You guys talk every day. We know that. That she's helping you walk through some personal issues. It's, it's really cool. You're going to have fun. Ben's leaving today to Hawaii to go back home, except his family's not there, most of them. They all flew the coop, and he's going back. But he's the big kahuna is going to go hit the waves, hit the surf. Good stuff. And also, you're going to go clear up that legal issue, which I think is great. I mean, they could never prove it. Just a surfboard. We'll uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, great guest coming up. Uh, Suki Kim is joining us, and uh, she was um, she went undercover in North Korea, taught English, and then wrote a book uh, that's uh, an awesome, um, really highly touted book. Without you, there is no us. My time with the sons of North Korea's elite. Interesting stuff. She's going to come give us some insight. You know, what's really going on in North Korea? Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, for many of us, North Korea is just one big mystery, isn't it? In 1948, Korea was divided into a democratic South and a communist North. North Korea recently got some major attention when, um, with the Sony Studios debacle about Seth Rogen and James Franco's Franco's, uh, film, The Interview. Uh, You know, they believe that uh, North Koreans hacked the Sony Studios system. But there have been documentaries, speculation, propaganda surrounding North Korea for years. Our guest today, however, offers an insider's look into the life in North Korea as an English teacher. Suki Kim spent six months undercover in North Korea. She chronicles her stay in her book, Without You, There Is No Us, My Time with the Sons of North Korea's Elite. She joins us now via Skype. Miss Kim, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, thank you for having me. Great to have you. Uh, also, you have a TED Talk, and um, which is it's just it's such an interesting story that you have. First off, why did you decide that uh, you wanted to go to North Korea? Well, um, as a writer, I was really always obsessed with a topic, and um, I grew up in a family that's separated by the war um, in South Korea. Yeah. So uh, it was a personal, um, my grandmother, for example, uh, her son was taken away to North Korea and, and um, just spent the rest of her life missing him. Mm. Um, that happened during the Korean War. And so I think that I went there for the first time as a writer in 2002, and I realized that one has to go there, um, be embedded. Full immersion was the only way you would get the truth because everything else is a propaganda. Yeah. So how do, how does a how does an American Korean 
South Korea and get into North Korea to to, well, to even stay there to teach? Well, it was it seemed like an impossible task because I, I went there in 2002. And, you know, it's always you get a small, short visit, some yeah. government-sponsored visit. So being a writer there really is almost like being a publicist because you can only write what they show you mm. and you're always with a minder. Um, so I went there a few times, but in 2011, I got in through this organization that was setting up a school, evangelical organization, um, that had created a private university in North Korea. So I applied for a job there and I ended up teaching these young men, all male school. It turns out they were the elite of North Korea. Wow. Wow. Now, and so the evangelical school could go there, could set up the university, but they couldn't like proselytize, right? Because that that's a capital offense, you said. Right. That is a capital offense. And for an evangelical organization to function there, um, in this case, particularly educating the sons of elite, you would have to cooperate with the Kim Jong-un regime. That's yeah. the only way that would happen. So uh, also you have to pay for everything. So no teachers there get funded. Um, but, you know, basically the, the school to be built cost over $35 million. Wow. And um, a lot more to be up to be operating there. And, and that's all funded um from outside, North Korea doesn't pay a penny. Huh. But one of the deals they made with the North Korean regime was they're not going to proselytize. Mm. So then, all of a sudden, you, you're in there. You you're a school teacher, I guess, teaching English, and uh, teach us teach us what you learned. What did you start to notice? And what misconceptions do we have as Americans about the about North Korea? Well, I mean, I thought it was fascinating. Obviously, first of all, 2011 is when I was there, which was their um, year 100 because they have a different calendar system there. Right, right. Um, that year, right, they, they counted from the birth of the original great leader. And um, that year, they shut down every university, sent all the university students into construction field. Um, the purpose, they said, was to build a powerful, prosperous nation but really, by the end of that year, Kim Jong-il died and ah. Kim Jong-un rose to power. So it seemed as if they really wanted to scatter the youth so that there won't be a, an Arab spring of sort in North Korea. Yeah. Um, but these, so while everybody else was in construction fields, 270 young men aged 19 and 20 were actually in this private university funded by evangelicals learning English. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's a remarkable situation. Yeah. And I was I had to teach English. And um, what's fascinating is that, you know, I have covered this uh, for over a decade and I've interviewed so many defectors and defector testimony are the only source of information we have about what's going on in North Korea. And those are usually the bottom rung of the society. These were the elite. I was fascinated, surprised to discover they also had no freedom. Interesting. So the, the elites in North Korea... You heard they had no – I mean you were hearing complaints about their complete lack of freedom. Well, no. I mean I think that I assume because, you know, when you do so many defector interviews and hear about gulags and, you know, it's it's a very um, one-track story you get of the starvation. So you assume those elites in Pyongyang who, you know, are the – because Pyongyang is a capital where only selected North Korean top people, class people can live in. And you assume that they are, you know, enjoying freedom and know everything. You know, I was teaching these kids 19 and 20, and none of us were allowed out for, you know, during those six months. And what I observed is that their days and hours were mapped out meticulously from dawn to dusk, 
all their duties were about the great leader. They could never travel anywhere alone. Everything they said was reported and recorded. Oh, I mean, wow. there was no sense of freedom. Unbelievable. I mean, and yeah, it's such. This is the leader leading class children of the leading class, and yet they're they're totally. Held captive, basically. They, that they didn't that year. They this was a University of Science and Technology, and they didn't know the existence of the internet. Oh. Um, you know that because they'll tell you they know, but the you know when you spend this, these are the, this is why it's tough to really understand North Korea because if I were to have if I had gone in there, interviewed them, they would have all said they know exactly what it is. Right. But then when you start living with them, they you know they'll say things like, so how many how how many movies can you watch on this thing called the internet, or you know like <laughs> they'll ask questions that clearly shows they don't know. They have no idea what it is, and if you have never seen the internet or have been on it. How would you know what it is, you know, those days when we didn't know what the Internet was? Mm -hmm. The the sense of infinity, the World Wide Web was not something they would know unless they experienced it. It was very clear living with them. They had no idea what that was. And these were the computer majors. These are the technology leaders of South Korea or North Korea. And yet they, they really, you can tell, don't have a clue um, about the internet, what other what other um, things surprised you? I mean, about their lifestyle, about their standard of living. I lived with them. You know, none of us were allowed out. It was all um, guarded by the military when I was living there, yeah. and um, I really learned to love them. I mean, they were remarkably innocent um, for nineteen and twenties. They seemed a lot younger because they'd been sheltered so much and yeah. infantilized, and were not allowed to do anything in North Korea. You need a travel pass to pass between each towns, you know? So uh-huh. you basically, most people have never basically left their hometown, wherever that is. So it was remarkable that lack of information. I mean, they didn't know anything about the outside world, or, or at least they couldn't say they knew. So they wouldn't know what the Eiffel Tower is. They, did, you know, they couldn't like, tell you, you know, Taj Mahal, they don't know what that is, never seen it. Um, the year a man walked on the moon, they didn't know. But they also didn't know anything about their own country either huh. or anything on anything. You know, they thought like basketball grew them tall, which is something they learned. Yeah. Um, information they had was a lot of basically pure rubbish, which they've been taught because their education system is only about the great leader. It's a place where... Television it only shows one channel about the great leader. Every newspaper article is about the great leader. Every song, every flower, I mean, every mountain surface. I mean, there is actually nothing else that exists. So I think that once you live with them more and more, it was uh, it was very frightening, yeah, um, suffocating, and also just horribly heartbreaking. Such beautiful because I really love them. Um, Nineteen twenty year olds just had like nothing. Oh. You know, they were just great leader soldiers. Oh, that must have been so hard for you to um to not be able to share more and to enlighten them more and teach them more just about what you've experienced, what you know. To not open yeah, I mean, those doors. The, the situation was that everybody every conversation was being watched and recorded yeah. and reported. You know, I ate meals with my students every single day, three meals a day. Um, three students and me, and they're all watching each other, and our conversations are being watched. So what was really difficult also about being there, you know, we had the teachers were in a teacher dormitory right next to the student dormitory. Teacher dormitory had minders living on the ground floor whose job was to watch the students. Every classroom was watched. Classroom lessons had to be approved. So what that means is 
you can't really tell them anything. We had all these rules of basically don't tell them anything. So um, I knew that I, I mean, it would have been dangerous for me, but I mean, I could also easily get them in trouble, you know, during our conversation because everything is being reported. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I think that incessant, when you know that you could put somebody else's life in danger, it's a very, very stressful situation to be in on a daily basis. Oh, absolutely. Let's do this. Um, again, we're talking with Suki Kim, and she is... Uh, she spent six months in North Korea teaching uh, English in North Korea and um, powerful, powerful insight into really what's going on in this country and honestly scary in a way, isn't it? And we'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion with Suki Kim, again, author of the book Without You, There Is No Us, My Time with the Sons of North Korea's Elite. Also want to talk to her about what happened after um, the one of the the leader, the supreme leader Kim Jong Un, uh, or Kim Jong Il died, and his son Kim Jong Un took over. Uh, interesting, interesting discussion. Man, are you not blessed to be uh, in the United States, folks? Um, we'll take a break. When we come back, more on this interesting topic with Suki Kim. To the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, on the phone with us uh, is uh, Suki Kim. She is a well-known author and author of the book Without You, There Is No Us, My Time with the Sons of North Korea's Elite. She was given the opportunity uh, to go to North Korea, basically, and work in an evangelical school as an English teacher for six months. Now, she... um, she is a, a, a Korean American and I think was born in South Korea and yet and had family and, and relatives and a grandmother. And, and, and this was this was their life. Right. This pre division of North and South Korea. And so she wanted to connect to that historically. She's been there a couple of times. Uh, this is, I think, her second time. And Suki Kim joins us now and is teaching us the lessons she learned uh, teaching English to the the children, the 19, 20, 21 year old children of the um, North Korean elite. Suki Kim, welcome back to the show. Hi. How many now? You're you're. Did you have family then? You didn't get to see them, but did you have family that were in North Korea? We had family. Um, you know, the Korean War, which lasted from 1950 to 1953. Yeah. Um, cut up. A five thousand year old kingdom, Ugh. which is uh, uh, you know, and um, that was a cold war. I yeah. mean, no one talks about people talk about Americans going to rescue Koreans from for democracy. Um, they don't, no one really talks about who cut up Korea, and and Korea was divided actually by the United States and mm. the Soviet Union, um, and that was you know post war colonial remapping of that country, and all the Korean um, there was no civil war, there was no North and South. And this artificial division actually just cut up millions of families. Um, They say 10 million plus family were affected through separation. I mean, never mind death. You know, Seoul and Pyongyang, capital of South Korea, capital of North Korea, are basically 120 miles away. 
My grandmother, for example, you know, her son ended up on the other side during the war. She just couldn't get to him. Everyone thought the border, you know, this 38th parallel thing is just going to come down, you know, because there had never been a division like that. And um, it still is there 70 years later. Oh, my heavens. So your grandma lost, had some children on one side and other children on the other side. Not lost. I mean, it was basically separation. I think the forced separation. Yeah. And that's originally really why it went, because yeah. this isn't just my family. This is a million. Ten million, Koreans. you said. Yeah. Yeah. And, and millions of Koreans who basically, I mean, I cannot imagine anything worse for a mother to have your child, your 17-year-old son or or whoever it is, and like just right, it's it's like a next town, yeah. and you can't get to them, and you don't know why. You know, some government border comes down, and they tell you you cannot get to it, uh. and you keep thinking. My grandmother never moved her house, thinking he's gonna come home, and and because it's her child, and um, I mean, she pretty much went mad after that. I bet. But she didn't. He didn't. I mean, he couldn't come home. You know, and and I think that. That affecting millions of people, that kind of longing and just missing someone and, and heartbreak and heartache of, of, of being separated from loved ones like that and family. I mean, I think that kind of artificial separation is heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. and, 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 and a generation died missing somebody. And, is, and, that, and, and, and that drove you to want to go learn more. I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean the human story because we here somehow North Korea we've become it's become a very strange thing where the world feels entitled to make this really tiresome great leader jokes mm-hmm. and and um, I mean interview Sony that's a perfect example of of everyone in the country kind of making Kim Jong Un jokes and I think wow that's a country 25 million people are stuck in a living gulag and also. You know, we have basically 75 million Koreans who've been separated and just are just missing their family. And that's what the Korean division is. And that's why I, I tried to understand. I went there actually five times from 2002 oh, until wow. 2011. Five times. And um, what's interesting is, and, and you're sitting here working and teaching the, you know, 20-year-old boys from the North Korean elite families and yet you had an uncle and a story of an uncle that at 17 was basically held captive in the northern part of the country. And yet you you just stated earlier about how you really loved these boys. You really liked these boys. And well, I wanted to get to the, the personal angle. You know, I didn't go there to teach English. I went there yeah, to write a book. Right. So, um, you know, so the it, I basically took notes uh, every day in secret and, and, and tried to understand what it's like to be there, I mean, to live there, to have been born there. What is this world that is actually cut off from the rest of the world? Yeah, They're the only ones, you know, when you look at the satellite map of Korea, it's completely black. South Korea is one of the richest countries in the world. North Korea, the world is simply unconnected Uh. from North Korea. So what is that? What kind of control is there that's been going on? Three generations of the great leader, what have they done so that we have this mystery of North Korea? And it's because those, I mean, it, I mean what I saw when I got down to more and more of it yeah. is that those those narcissistic men have basically erased everything except themselves. Yeah, they're the most it. controlled nation in the world. What did you see when you saw, when Kim Jong-il died, um, what, what, did, what was your perspective of that? What was your view and what was your view as Kim Jong-un came in? How was he... What really was going on? We always hear stories about, 
you know, people were crying and sobbing, and yet others it seemed forced crying or whatever. What did you see? You know, North Korea is um, it's a cult ideology. You know, because everything, you know, every citizen wears the badge of the great leader right. uh, on their chest at all times. Um, it's like everyone's marked by the great leader. So when he died, which happened to be by coincidence, my last day in North Korea, mm. um, everything shut down. And what I saw, and by this time, these young men who I really felt like they were my sons, you know, I adore them. You do when you yeah. live with someone, yeah. eat with someone for months and months like that. And, um, and I mean, they're also adorable, sweet, funny, and, and they just, you know, it's like their souls had been taken out, you know. It was far more heartbreaking than those ex- exaggerated tears you wow. saw on television of North Koreans who are crying before the camera, whether it's AP or Reuters, whoever right. they're shooting those pictures. You know, my kids were just like totally heartbroken. And and it was so understandable because by then I spent months and months with them. And for them, the great leader was a combination between like a father figure and a god figure. He created the world they lived in. So why wouldn't these boys be so sure. utterly heartbroken? You know, they were, it's like, and people always ask me, they're like, were they really sad? And I'm like, no, I didn't go into their heart, but I could understand by looking at them and knowing them that even if your father is a bad father, when your father dies, you would be heartbroken. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what I noticed, a very, very human reaction to the death of someone that meant the world to them. Did you sense that they were loyal or afraid or both? I mean, I don't know if you heard the latest headline today, uh, but North Korea, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un reportedly ordered the execution of the country's vice premier earlier this year. South Korea's, um, it was uh, uh, Cho Yong-gon was shot dead in May and I guess they've now found that he ordered the death of his vice premier. Um, I mean, he's, he's proven to be such a violent, even more violent than his father. You know, all the, um, they say that out of the seven people who walked alongside Kim Jong-il's coffin, these are the seven, basically the leaders of that nation, you know, five of them have been either dead or sent to a gulag, executed. Oh, wow. I mean, first thing he did was sending his uncle to publicly execute him in front of the world. Um, so, I mean, that's, you know, it's a very, very violent world. But, in, I mean, when I was there, Kim Jong-un was just being prepped to yeah. lead the next. And I, you know, he's so young compared to his father. And this whole thing, I mean, I think that it's basically the whole place is such control yeah. that um, in order to absolutely control people to a degree where Internet is blocked out in 2015, you know, they don't know anything. I mean, it, you know, it's like dumbing down the entire nation. And, you know, that's the kind of control we see, like, in abused homes, right? Yeah, right, right. Where the father might beat the kids and basically lock them up or what, you know, and then just, like, make sure they don't, they're not allowed to go anywhere but be in the house. It's kind of like that. When Mm. you imagine it like a cult ideology and, like, the most abusive home you can think of. And that's what I felt being inside. Oh, wow. I mean, and and, and yet, um, so in a way, I guess we we get – we, I guess we don't get it because it is such an oppressed people, and yet they're just humans, right? So humans with less of a cult ideology would would have so much more happiness, so much more peace, so much more. What else do we need to understand about the North Koreans that you learned as you were able to stare more into their eyes and their hearts? You know, I mean, what I also saw was, I mean, this is what was so, in a way, I mean, that's why it was complex to be there and try to uh, write 
about this because, I mean, they were also incredibly lovely, you know, like yeah. the way 19-year-olds are, the yeah. way youth are, and, and beautiful and also just funny, you know, they would blush when they talk about girls, um, you know, because they were all boys, and, and, and the absolute humanity of them, sometimes, you know, they would make all these boy jokes, you know, at the cafeteria, in the cafeteria, because I'm a, I'm a female yeah. teacher, and, and um, sometimes I would laugh and laugh and laugh at what they say, and then I would forget. Because they seem just like an American college student. Right. And then I would forget where we are. And then the great leader badges are all on their chest. And <laughs> I would realize the nation they're, they're led to lead. And also the, the things they're not allowed. You know, they're not even allowed to go next town. Never mind see the rest of the world. And I think that it's this um, dichotomy or, or paradox, you know, like the great humanity of what it means to be 19 and then this absolute control, like because people think somehow North Koreans are robots. But think right. about it: if, if if it's a really an abusive home, are the abused children just robots of whoever terrorizes them? And even if it's brainwashing, like cult ideology, just because they follow their great leader, it doesn't mean that they have no feelings or mm -hmm. they have no sense of humor. Or you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like humanity is also incredibly tough and resilient, but also absolute control and, and culty ideology is another very resilient thing. And that's what you have combined in human beings. So I think that's what I wanted to get across. Like if as if you or I ended up in a situation oh, like yeah. that. No, so totally. If you can think of them as your kids and your son stuck there. Oh, yeah. It's heartbreaking. No, I have 19-year-old boy. I have a 20-year-old boy, an 18-year-old boy. I mean, I sit there and I think, I mean, that is that is tragic. And then to think of what your grandma went through, losing one just by random drawing of the lines, it's unbelievable. Was it was it hard for you to, to write your book, or did it just flow naturally after you had been there? Well, I mean, there I kept uh, all my notes. I, I took about 400-page notes on my, uh, you know, I would write them on my laptop and they erase everything because mm. all the minders go through your stuff. So right. I had to keep them all on my body at all times. Um, I think that, you know, because it was so heightened because it, it's, you know, it's it, when your life is in danger, it's a very heightened situation. Yeah, right. So writing was not really a difficult thing. I think that um, once I got back and, and writing in a way that's responsible, meaning that this is a very sensitive information and I needed to protect my students in the book, yeah. um, make sure none of them can be identified. And, and I mean, ultimately, they come across lawyer to the regime. So it's not anything anyone could you know, punish them for. But, but I think that was difficult to really fine-tune every mm -hmm. section of the book so that they are kept, they're protected. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, and to, and to get the, the, the message out that you want to get out. You know, as we wrap up this interview, do, do, you, sense, do you sense there's that there will be a day where um, we'll be able to bridge this, this gap, this gulf between um, North Korea, South Korea, or North Korea and the United States? I mean, personally, I don't really see how as long as the current regime is in power, you know, even if they got the next guy, if it's another great leader, it's exactly the same thing, yeah. really. And the great leader system functions based on absolute control, not 70 percent control, 100 percent control. So when you have a system like that, how people keep saying it's loosening, but the minute it cracks a little, yeah. it will fall. So um, I, I think that it all depends 
on the rest of us outside because people in there have zero freedom. So if any change were to happen, it has to be coming from outside, mm-hmm. all of us who have actually a power to do something. Yeah, maybe we yeah, we might be able to apply more pressure, I guess, politically. Is that what politically, you think? Politically, financially. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that um, – you know, human rights organizations or whatever it is. I think that, I mean, it's it's unacceptable. Such yeah. a world is allowed to exist for 70 years and will continue to exist. Um, Suki, well, you, you were a teacher of these boys, but really you were, you cared about them. What are you hoping they took away from you? I mean, the funny thing about this is they don't quite know who you are. <laughs> they don't know how powerful you are or some of the, the, the really interesting awards you've received. In literature, they don't know these things, but they're going to have a memory of you. What do you What do you hope they took away? Well, I mean, I think that's kind of the TED talk I gave. Also, that you know, when I think about them, I think the part of my my heart really it just it kind of breaks. I mean, even now, yeah. And I think that I just want them to be safe, and them not knowing about the book or anything. I mean, I mean, they shouldn't. Right, no, right. Safety, really, yeah. and they will not know, you know, because information is all kept away from them. But I actually, um, I mean, anytime I see North Korean headlines and pictures of, you know, people their age, they should be about 23 now. And I, I mean, it, I just, my heart drops because yeah. it's always a terrible news. And I just want them to be safe. You know, what lesson they take, whatever lesson they take would make their current life miserable because they're stuck there. Yeah. So what is it? You know, it's like people, it's kind of reminds me of like New York Philharmonic in Pyongyang. Like, who cares? You know, like, mm-hmm. is that going to change their life? Because I don't think it did. I think that was just a propaganda for the rest of the world. Um, but what is actually going to change their life? Uh, nothing. Nothing of what I was there to do because they have no power. Yeah. So I just want them to be safe and safe and safe and live really long lives. Yeah. Well, and then and then maybe your power is going to come by motivating the rest of us to push right. more pressure. I mean, because you know, I mean, I think one of my points is people always talk about well, the youth should rise up. And but, but yeah. if that was your son, would you want your son to lead a revolution and get himself killed? I mean, I think that was really complicated about being there. Sure, sure. Because I didn't want them killed, and that's what revolution means. Well, I I I'm touched. I appreciate I appreciate your work and. It's dangerous, and yet uh, it's something I think that's opened up all of all of our eyes and our minds. So, Suki Kim, thanks again for the interview, and everybody, go look for that book. Without you, there is no us. My time with the sons of North Korea's elite, powerful. I mean, isn't it amazing the power of one person to go in, get these ideas, and open our minds and our hearts? I mean, you know, we we were, we were done with the Korean War a long time ago, and yet. The Koreans are still suffering this day in and day out. Uh, powerful, powerful stuff. We'll take a break, my friends. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You listen to Suki Kim's story and you think, holy cow, are you blessed or what to be living in America? And, you know, we can we can just sit there and, you know, laugh at the Korean people. 
the reality is there's nothing to laugh about with them. The, I mean, I guess laugh at the leader, but the leader is an oppressive tyrant, right? And he's killing. He's just killing people. And to think that he's more uh, dangerous than his father is even scarier, right? Because he's this young dude. I mean, man. Did you know that everything, everything, everything is only about them? One station all day long talking about the supreme leader. Honestly. And yet uh, humans continue. And then when you see him crying, you know, I remember a bunch of comedians laughing about that. And But the reality is, too, those, a lot of those tears were real because that is all they know. So it, it makes me think, man, we got to make sure we're not wasting our freedom here. We've got all these opportunities to get on the Internet. She was talking, Suki talked about the Internet. And these, these kids don't even have a clue what they don't know. I mean, just imagine the day that, you know, North Korea is freed. How do you begin to take an entire population that's many, many, many generations deep and they how do you begin to even catch them up on the rest of the world? Can you imagine that? Anyway, and we need people like Suki Kim who will at her own risk sneak into these this country and gather information and write a book and open the rest of our minds up. And two, you know, so when we sit there and talk about North Korea and our treaties and our agreements, this is the side of it that needs to be understood. And again, this is why so many people have opposition to the Iran deal, because in many ways, the Iranian regimes are just as are just as um, oppressive, right? And supporting of terrorism and other things. So behind all of this political stuff that we hear out there, remember, there's real stories, there's real lives that are being affected, there's real people that um, are dying. And uh, anyway, think about it. Think about how lucky you are to be where you are and to be who you are and to know what you know. That's really why we do the show, to help you see the other stories so you can have a pretty well-rounded idea and look, you know, North Korea, it's, it's messed up. And yet the people inside of North Korea, they're just like you and me. They're exactly like you and me. And uh, not always easy, is it? We'll take a break, my friends. That's that's the uh, second hour of the show. When we come back, one more hour of tools, ideas to help you find the good in the world. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Happy days are here again. Hope you're having a great day. Uh, we got a great show for you today. We'll be talking in just a few minutes with Joseph Grenny, who is the author, uh, actually one of the authors, of a, of a great book, um, a New York Times best-selling book called um, Crucial Accountability. Do you know how to hold people accountable? It tends to be 
one of the great uh, uh, keys to creating healthy teams, healthy families even, healthy lives, is to have a sense of accountability to each other. You know, that way the missed deadlines, all the rules that we violate, the broken promises, they actually matter, which is important when you think about just our political world. A lot of these people aren't accountable. They, you know, they come, they go, they start something, they take credit for it. If you listen in the debate, you hear just a bunch of people taking credit for a bunch of stuff. We need accountability. And joining us in just a few minutes, Joseph Grenny will teach us how to create accountability with ourselves and with others so that we can all um, get the results we want together. That will be a, a big topic we'll be talking about in just a few minutes. Ben, by the way, just a little shout out. He's going back home to Hawaii to the north shore of, of Oahu. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, Kathy was nice enough to bring in some donuts. Best donuts in Utah. Best donuts in Utah on the earth. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I, the rule was you, you bring the donuts, I'll bring the water, and and there's the water. Um, Ben's getting a drink right now. You, you okay, Ben? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I just couldn't help it. Sorry. Man, that was loud. Well, you, you brought a Were you dehydrated? Yeah. <laughs> it's because of the chocolate. Ben brought macadamia chocolate nut clusters. I think a better sound would have been the waves crashing in on the beach. Uh, uh, hit, we, hit the water again. Which we Let's would see. love. Maybe this is a wave. No. Let's see. No. It sounds kind of like a toilet bowl or something. <laughs> it does. <laughs> How are you getting a drink and talking, Ben? I'm a talented man. You're a very talented man. We're going to miss you. Ben will be going to Hawaii for two weeks. Uh, as I've, I looked at his itinerary, the first couple days, three, four days, we'll be dealing with sunburn. Um, and you are pretty fair. He's very fair. Do you tan? Or do you burn? When, when I lived there, like, I was to the point to where I didn't burn too bad, but it's going to be bad the first couple of yeah. days. It's been a while. Yep. Yeah. This will be, hey, send a picture. <laughs> Send us a picture in a bag of skin. <laughs> that would be great. Oh, that's just gross. Yeah, right. Ben apparently has a cold too. That's great. Take that to the island. Well, I like someone needs to get sick on my plane ride over there. So, oh, I, I feel bad for the. Person you know what? I have a feeling. I, just, I have a feeling there's thought. a lot of sickness on that plane. All the way uh, to do you have Hawaii. The red eye? What? Do you have the red eye? Um, no. Oh, good. He'll have that's red eye when he gets back, there. Though, huh? Yeah. Oh, that's the worst flight. Oh, no, that's sure. pink eye. Pink eye is different than red <laughs> eye, if I recall. Hey, uh, also, today we're celebrating uh, Middle Child's Day. So if you're a middle child, today is the day, August 12th. And um, I sent my son a text did wishing you? him happy, happy middle, middle son's child. day, or middle son, actually, I said. He was very grateful. I don't very have happy. a middle child. I have six children. Mm-hmm. So are the two middle, I have middle children. Mm-hmm. I guess that's. Three and four. Yeah, both of them. <laughs> yeah, again, as as one of the of the last child, spoiled child, golden child mm-hmm. era mm-hmm. group. Yeah, a shout out to them as well. Yeah. Well, I I was the middle child, and yeah. and although we were forgotten, we're the most accomplished of the group. Yeah. Really, really, <laughs> I think I think actually the the oldest child's the most accomplished, aren't they? And then I think actually the youngest child's the most spoiled, gifted, blessed, ripped, and they're, I think, like also very accomplished. And free of plantar. And free of plantar. Nearly free of plantar. <laughs> oh, man. Good stuff. Um, so it's also World Elephant Day and Vinyl Record Day, which, again, I have uh, 
my boss Don gave me a five thousand dollar, pretty sure it was five thousand dollar vinyl record of Millie Vanilli. Mm-hmm. Five grand. Yeah, who wouldn't want that? I know. I, apparently, Don didn't want it because he <laughs> gave it to me. Uh, so we'll be doing that, and then a little bit later, we'll get into um, go go down and talk to the boys at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show. Tons of great information. Man, BYU's now it's you know. Now they're starting to practice, so there's a lot of news. But before we get to all of that, let's get right to the headlines with Kathy Aiken. Secretary of State John Kerry said it's very likely his emails are being read by officials in China and Russia. Kerry's comments coming after several hacking incidents, which are believed to have been carried out by foreign countries. Speaking of emails, Hillary Clinton's private email server is being handed over to the Justice Department after months of demands. This is the server she used at her home during her time as Secretary of State. The FBI has already taken possession of thumb drives where two email messages reportedly contain top-secret information. Washington Post reporter Carol Lenning says the email controversy is hurting Clinton's campaign. She's supposed to be talking about the issues and how she's going to be a great choice for the leader of our country. But now the news is filled with questions about whether or not she has put some national information in jeopardy. The fallout from the controversy has shown up in a recent poll. For the first time, Clinton is not the Democratic frontrunner, at least in New Hampshire, where she trails Bernie Sanders 44 to 37 percent. EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy is apologizing for her agency accidentally triggering a breach in an abandoned gold mine in Colorado last week. This coming after increasing criticism from lawmakers about the EPA's slow response. I am absolutely deeply sorry that this ever happened, but I want to make sure that we that we react positively and in a way that's credible and we move this forward. McCarthy plans to visit the affected areas in Colorado and New Mexico today. Three million gallons of toxic sludge flowed down the Animas and San Juan Rivers, a water system that also flows into Utah. EPA officials said yesterday 500 to 700 gallons of water per minute minute was flowing out of the mine and being treated as it emerged. No violence or arrests were reported last night in Ferguson, Missouri, following several nights of protests after the anniversary of Michael Brown's death. A total of 150 people have been arrested around the area during several days of unrest. Yesterday, police released surveillance video they say shows Tyron Harris appearing to pull a weapon from his waistband before he was shot and wounded by police there on Sunday. A state of emergency could be lifted for St. Louis County as early as today. A police officer in Arlington, Texas, was fired after fatally shooting a black teenager last week during a break-in at an area car dealership. Officer Brad Miller was still in training at the time of the shooting. The investigation continues and will be sent to the district attorney's office for possible submission to a grand jury. And Matt, a strange story out of Venice, California. What? So here's how it goes. Philip Johnson was dying of cancer when he showed his wife a violin case in their basement. So the case was under um, like a tarp weighted down with bricks. Uh His wife just assumed the case held an antique violin that she had bought for him previously. But recently, four years after his death... They were curious. The wife had, I think her son-in-law, open it up, pry open the case, and found that it was a famous Stradivarius <gasps> that had been stolen from renowned violinist Roman Totenberg in 1980, most likely stolen by her husband. Oh, that dirty rascal. Who was a concert rascal. violinist. Totenberg died three years ago at the age of 102, and the woman said her biggest regret, regret, regret was not discovering the violin earlier so she could t- return it to Totenberg before he died. Oh, wow, yeah. She was really nervous when she found out what it was and thought she was going to be arrested, but federal authorities 
just gave the violin back to his daughters. Unbelievable. You know, thanks, honey. Thank you for that. Thanks, thanks for, for that. Thanks for the... Probably incredibly expensive violin. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Well, what a neat woman to not go sell it. And, I well, mean, they started to figure out, well, where, what is this? You know, what's it worth? They actually went to a, a big, I guess, dealer to find out its value. And then the guy kind of went, you know what? You need to call the FBI. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. This is uh, stolen and oh my you word. could be in big time trouble. So yeah, holy cow! So thank you, dear. You know, that that is one way to be remembered by your very family. Very much, yes, in a very negative way. <laughs> That's true. Do you remember how Grandpa got us all indicted? <laughs> I miss Grandpa. He was such a neat guy. Do you remember how Grandma got tased by the FBI in that search warrant? Oh, that was amazing. I miss Grandpa. Hey, uh, good job, Kathy. Well done, and uh, great job on the donuts. That was cool. Again, I never they never ring me a treat. What do you got to do? Go to Hawaii? It's not like Ben's dying. He's just going to Hawaii for a minute. A couple of weeks. Hey, uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to Joseph Grenny, a great uh, guest. We've had him on the show before. He's a New York Times bestselling author and um, really just an expert in understanding people and motivating people. Today he's talking about Crucial Accountability, one of his books, and he's going to teach us what we're supposed to do when people break promises, how we can hold other people accountable in our lives, as well as being more accountable to the people we care about. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, lead a healthier, happier life by being more accountable. Up next, right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, in life, there's there's going to be moments, right, when people are going to miss deadlines that they promised to have for you. They're going to violate rules, boundaries that maybe have been set. They're going to break promises. And so we wanted to get some help and uh, an expert in on, uh, you know, the call with us today who can help us understand how to hold people accountable and how to do it in a way that we don't scare them, we don't beat them up, we don't harm the relationship, but instead we their accountability helps enhance the relationship. So joining us today is Joseph Grenny. He's a New York Times bestselling author, keynote speaker, leading social scientist for business performance, uh, generating three of the three hundred of the fortune and working with three hundred of the fortune five hundred companies. We're honored to have him here today to talk about his best-selling book, Crucial Accountability. Joseph Grenny, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, great to be with you, Matt. Love having you and love getting your insight. I mean, accountability, its we, we're going to be disappointed with people all the time, right? Is that just not kind of human nature to just let people down at times? It is. Stuff happens. You know, sometimes it's because we have expectations that we didn't set appropriately. Sometimes it's because they fall short. But sort of the nature of life is that we're going to let each other down now and again. So the, the real issue is how do we deal with those in the moments, not whether or not they're going to occur. Yeah. And so is that is that what you write about in the book, Crucial Accountability? Well, we kind of came at it from a different direction. We were looking for what we called moments of disproportionate influence. We wondered, are there just a few moments that make the biggest difference in either accelerating intimacy in a relationship, creating connection and trust, 
or creating division and, uh, and disconnection. Hmm. And as we started looking for those kind of moments, we found that those are moments when people disagree or disappoint. Those are the two big categories. And it turns out how people handle those moments can literally become a trust accelerator. It can actually profoundly deepen the relationship rather than become divisive. So we tend to fear these moments when, in fact, they're the moments of greatest opportunity if we know how to handle them. Oh, interesting. So you, we, and, and we just kind of have a normal conversation. We're having a normal experience. And then all of a sudden, we get to a, a choice point, really, where it's either going where we might disagree or disappoint. And that's a really important moment because it could either drive us to intimacy, I guess you're saying, or, you know, send us on to the great, you know, MMA fight down. <laughs> yeah, and our in our tendency, particularly, you know, in the in inner mountain west here, and I know we've got a an international audience here as well, but in a variety of cultures our tendency in those moments is towards silence. Yeah. And uh, in fact, we just finished a study with about uh, 4,000 subjects across the world. We asked them, "What's in your vault?" So, do you have something that's just been sort of festering in silence for a long time? You've been biting your lip and putting up with it forever and ever. And if you had a magic wand and could open that vault and just let something out, if you could say one thing to one person with absolutely no fear of consequences, because that's what the magic wand's going to do for you, who would you say it to and what would you say? And my goodness, man, <laughs> I, it was just, uh, it was excruciating reading through these thousands of responses. Uh, particularly when we found out people that have been struggling with their husband or wife, with a boss, with a colleague. So one person described how the person in the cubicle next to her, apparently she believes has a cat that urinates on her purse or shoes or something like that, and it creates (laughs) this awful stench. And this individual has been living with this horrible odor for four and a half years (laughs) and saying nothing about it. Oh, man. So when we ask people to just sort of open the vault for a moment – they talked about disagreements and disappointments and frustrations and concerns that they had been agonizing with. And here's the point. They seem to believe that silence is really silent when, in fact, it isn't. Silence is often incredibly noisy because if you aren't talking out your concerns, you're acting them out. Yeah. You're avoiding people. You're acting resentful. You're gossiping. It is showing up in today's relationship. So that's why these moments make such a big difference, because if you choose not to address them in an effective way, they are causing incredible dysfunction and pain. Wow. And and yet uh, this woman could keep it for four and a half years. I mean, really, you, you unleash the Kraken in that research because you've got you've got people talking. I bet. I mean, is I, I guess it feels good for them to release it and be able to say it. But none of those people in the, still knew how to go home and really say it. Right. Yeah, they they yeah, didn't the know how to go deal like with it. Or, yeah. When, when you're answering a survey or talking to others, it's, it's sort of like a drug. Uh, it, you know, it temporarily reduces the symptoms, but it really doesn't solve the problem sometimes. So yeah. it's like taking a pain reliever. And, uh, and oftentimes gossip serves that sort of purpose that it's a it's a temporary anesthetic, but it really doesn't deal with the issue. Huh. So what when we and we have these issues and. Whether we act on them or whether we talk about them or not, they're, they're, you're saying they're coming out. They're going to be acted out. But you could see people that would you know, have an issue with their spouse and have it for 30 years and never yeah, get it out. Yeah, and that's, that's, ex- that's exactly what the study showed, that you know, we've got people that are saying, you know, I, I, I'd really like to end my relationship with my loved one. I, and they would 
list these grievances that they've been accumulating for decades frequently. And, you know, they probably had attempted to bring them up, but probably not in a particularly effective way, or perhaps the other person wasn't receptive to it. But right now what they're doing is just harboring and harboring and building and building, and silence isn't silence. Right. We think we're getting away with not approaching these really vulnerable conversations, and we are. We're paying a price every single day. You you have a name for what you call the first 30 seconds of a, of a difficult conversation or an accountability conversation. You call it the hazardous half minute. What does that mean? Yeah. Well, this, this was something remarkable in our research. So as we started finding that these few moments, I mean, it's just a few minutes a week, well, we have to talk about something emotionally or intellectually tender to us and, and vulnerable. We, we found that those few moments made such an enormous difference in organizational performance in our personal life. So we began to put a microscope on them and, and see how people who deal with them well address things differently. What are the skills? What are the learnable practices that they use? And the remarkable thing, Matt, was that we found that you could predict how a conversation with it would end with about 97% precision by watching just the first 30 seconds of it. So how people behave in those 30 seconds disproportionately affects even the next hour and uh, and how the the conversation would come out. Now, now I need to qualify this. We we spent about 10,000 hours observing uh, people in these moments. And what I'm not suggesting is that if you use the skills appropriately, then everyone's going to agree with you and they'll magically change and give you everything that you want. Right. That isn't true. What I am suggesting is that you'll get to the end of this conversation and, number one, you will be heard. You'll be able to get your point across. And, number two, you'll, you'll have an effect on the relationship that is generally positive. So if you handle these first 30 seconds, the hazardous half minute well, there are just a few things you have to do. Uh, that's the key to the rest of it. Interesting. And, and you're going to get it out. It doesn't mean it's going to be idyllic, but you, you are going to get your information out. You're going to be more likely to be heard, and you're more likely to be um, to what? To get some closure. Yeah, to have an influence. Yeah. That's, that's all you can ask for. Yeah. So no. Because, you know, the truth is we, we come into these conversations with partial truth anyway. Right. Uh, we aren't the possessor of all wisdom, and so you shouldn't hope that the whole conversation is going to move your direction at the end or else your attitude is wrong. You need to be coming in curious and open because if you aren't, then you'll help shut the other person down as well. Yeah. So your goal ought to be able to listen as well as you're uh, expressing yourself and perhaps see things at least somewhat differently by the time you're done. Mm, beautiful. Let's, t- let's take a break. We're talking with Joseph Grenny. If you go to his website, josephgrenny.com, um, you, can, you can find out more about him, his speaking, but you can also go to vitalsmarts.com, um, and they're the organization that really Joseph's been one of the great leaders in and has been uh, writing a lot of the books, including the book we're talking about today, Crucial Accountability. We'll take a break. When we come back, Joseph's going to give us the, you know, the process. How do we start this conversation? How do, we, how do we handle those first 30, 40 seconds of the conversation and hopefully lead it into a more accountable conversation? Stick with us, folks. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Joseph Grenny, New York Times bestselling author, keynote speaker, leading social scientist, and uh, one of the authors of the New York Times bestselling book, Crucial Accountability. He's been talking to us about uh, these important conversations that we have to we have to have that we we need to have an, a moment of accountability on what's going on in our lives, where we're struggling. And he's teaching us how to do that. Uh, welcome back, Joseph. Thanks again for being here. Oh, so good to be on the show. I love I love what you do, Matt, and appreciate your influence in the world. Thank you. And and we and honestly, I sit there and I think we need like hours with Joseph to sit down. And instead, we get just twenty minutes or so. And I want to pick your brain because when, like you were saying, we've got this thirty seconds or so to to begin this conversation, and that thirty seconds could set the tone really the the likelihood of even getting through this conversation what should we do to to start having this accountable moment well so there's there there's uh, two sets of things the first is things you better do before you ever open your mouth <laughs> and the, and the the second is what we tend to crave we just wish that there was a magic script or something and so i can give some uh, suggestions from what we've seen that's very effective once you do open your mouth so the the, the first piece really is make sure your own emotions are clear before you open your mouth. We often don't do that. So yeah. when people let us down, it often triggers a whole ca- cascade of emotions inside of us. And if you don't deal with those, they will govern the outcome of the conversation. You just can't fake it. You, you aren't a good enough actor. So if you're feeling hurt or diminished or angry or scared, you need to pull aside. You need to process those emotions in a safe and effective way. And the book Crucial Accountability describes some really great strategies that people use for understanding, appreciating, and validating their own emotions. So mm. that's a really critical yeah. piece of first work. And often we don't do that. We no, it, run no. right into trying to fix it. Yeah, we just kind of wing it, don't we? But you don't yeah, wing your yeah. emotions, or they'll wing you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so so yeah. we so we sit down. We kind of make sure we're centered. We know what our real emotional uh, pains are. We we, we just want to be aware, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, it's taking responsibility for your emotions. So if you feel hurt or violated or what have you, own it and take responsibility for it, but validate it and appreciate it. So that's that's real important inner work that has to be done before you open your mouth. And Mm. that's often where we go awry. That's good. So once we got our emotions taken care of, then what? All right. So now, now it's time to go public. Now the challenge is the other person is probably in an emotional, fra- emotionally fragile place too. So we need to be aware of that. There are three things you've got to do in those first 30 seconds. The first has nothing to do with the disappointment that you're wanting to address. So if, if they've let you down, we often want to leap right into that as an issue. Yeah. You need to understand that human beings are hardwired to, to scan the environment for threats. So, so just just a little bit of background on the brain science of this. When you enter a room, even if it's not sort of an emotionally uh, uh, challenging situation, when you enter a room with other people, you are consciously or unconsciously scanning that room for threats. You're uh, you're you're aware of: Am I dressed right? Am I appropriate or not? Are people going to judge me? And how am I going to feel? Where should I sit? Should I stand? Should I? You know, all of these sort of things are happening in our minds. We're looking for anything that could make us physically or emotionally at risk. The, the same is, is true tenfold uh, during a crucial conversation. When you enter a moment where you feel emotionally vulnerable or some outcome of yours is at risk, 
the, your sensitivity to any evidence that the other person means you harm or could prosecute an ill intent against you is heightened. Mm. All you have to do to make another person feel unsafe during a crucial conversation is nothing. Yeah. I mean, think, think about it for a minute. Yeah. If the other person is just stoic and giving off no expression at all, you feel threatened. Totally. And so your first task during a crucial conversation is to generate evidence that the other person is safe with you. Hmm. You have to intentionally and effectively let them know two things. The first is that you care deeply about their interests, concerns, or problems. So you, you have to generate evidence for them that whatever current concerns or fears they've got in this moment, you care about those. Now, this does not mean you're going to take responsibility for those. This does not mean you're going to cave in. This doesn't mean you're going to fix everything for them. All it means is that you care yeah. and that you, you don't intend them harm. So that's the first thing that you've got to do. We call that creating a condition of mutual purpose. That's great. They need to know that you care about their interests and yours. The second is you have to generate a condition we call mutual respect. They need to know not just that you care about their problems, interests, and concerns, but also that you care about them. Now, this gets especially problematic if they've behaved in a way that you find despicable or right. loathsome. Yeah. If they've harmed you or hurt you or insulted you, it's hard to feel respectful or generate that feeling of respect in those cases. But, but the, the principle here goes back to that first thing, that inner work that you've got to do. You've got to deal with your own provocation or judgments and, uh, and triggers and get that out of the way so that you can see them as a person worthy of civility and respect. Right. And then generate evidence that you see them that way. Because that goes I'm back to your values, right? That's your principles. I, my general principles would say I should treat people with respect even if they're yeah. not yeah, it does. You know, always the nicest people. I'm, I believe in respecting people. And I think those lofty principles get lost in the impulse of the moment. Yeah, exactly. So when, when, when something's triggering for us, it's easy to lose it. But I think you're right. That is a fundamental thing that we'd all agree on. So yeah. that's, our, that's our first job. Then we've got to kind of convince them we, are, we really do care. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So there, there are a lot of ways that we do this. Again, we're letting them know we care about their interests. We're letting them know that we care about them. Now, now the key here is, understanding this isn't a trick or a technique. So a lot of people say, great, well, so what do I do? I smile and, and I let them know, hey, I mean you no harm, and then I move on, right? Right. No. <laughs> That's what everyone's thinking, right? Yes. The, the way you'll know you're done with step one is you'll see them exhale. Their shoulders will relax. They'll look like they're finally a little bit open uh, to the conversation. As soon as you see that body language that says, okay, I think they feel safe, then you're ready to proceed to step two. Until you see that, you're not ready. Yeah, until they relax. Right. So yeah. this isn't about just delivering a script, right. precisely. That's good. What, so what's step two once we can get there? We've got about two minutes. Okay, so ha- all right. So having created safety, the second, op- the, the, second, uh, um, the second thing is what we have been waiting to do, and that is describing the problem. The trick here is to, uh, to strip out all of the judgment language we like to use, to just be factually clear about what we expected and what we got, yeah. the gap. So it's letting them know, hey, I, I thought you were going to pick me up at 2 o'clock. You actually arrived at 2.30. Now, you notice in what I said that there were no judgment words. It's not emotionally laden. What we tend to want to do in that moment is to say, hey, you just, you, you just blew me off. Yeah, you left uh, me you, hanging, right? Yeah, yeah, you just dumped me. You, you couldn't care less about me. We want to put all that in. 
The second principle is just describing the gap factually. And finally, the third step is to put yourself in a condition of curiosity and ask for their point of view. Hmm. And now you move to inquiry. So you've, you've stated the problem, and now you need to show as much interest in their view of it as you have uh, for your own. So those, those are the three basic things we got to do in those first few seconds. Well, and those are really interesting principles. Like, so non-judgmentalness is really kind of the second one, but and the third one is curiosity, because then I, I might actually get data from them that validate or clarifies why they're late. They, they may give me yeah. new data that convince, uh, shows me that oh yeah oh okay well yeah sorry I had a flat tire oh yeah, okay they, well yeah exactly the case. You'll, you'll, you'll sometimes get new information. Sometimes you'll just get new perspective on yep. the information that you've already got. You understand their motives or fears or concerns in a way that, that softens you. Yeah. Or just, yeah, you might just get reconfirmation that they struggle doing anything on time. I mean, you know what yeah, I mean? That, sometimes that, it's that just more information, good. right? I mean, the cool that's thing right. about the yeah, whole thing is, Joseph, I just think you've you've really done a great job in in saying, look— these are hard conversations, but there's general ba- – I mean, there's basic principles that will carry you through it if you'll just stick in it and stay in the conversation and be willing to have it. There are. And what we hope that, uh, that the book, that Crucial Accountability and Crucial Conversations does for people is just give them handles. Just give them ways of breaking apart this morass of emotion that's going on because these are difficult moments. They're the, they're the most challenging of our lives. And so hopefully having a few handholds will help people take it apart, slow it down, and get to the place that they really want to be. Uh, well, I love it, and I, I really do appreciate you and the work you're doing. Um, everybody, go check out Joseph's website, josephgrenny.com, and also you can go to vitalsmarts.com, which is an organization Joseph has uh, started and, and is a major um, leader in. And he's he's writing these books, really, because we all need to learn. We need to learn how to get some of this pain out so we don't hold this pain for the rest of our lives. Crucial accountability, crucial conversations, great resources for you. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, we'll be talking to our buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. And again, happy Vinyl Record Day. It's a very big day, and I'm going to send it down to my great buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Who better to to talk to us down there than Spencer and Brian? Hello, gentlemen. Hey, how are you staying up to date with all the changes on the show, Matt? Can you see us again? No. Oh, I just waved. Did you wave? No reason, yeah. No, but I because I I know who's on the show because you have such a highly trained staff and your staff keeps my staff ah informed. So they're actually communicating. Yeah, yeah it's called communication. How about that? It's incredible. Do you guys hear it's vinyl record day? I just heard that from you. Yes. Do you guys have do you guys have any vinyls? Nope. I want to say no. May, may wait, maybe. Do maybe you? I have the uh, Muppets 
Christmas special from like the late 70s. Why? Why do you have that? I don't know, because it was my favorite when I was a little boy. You know what? You need to come by my office. Don gave me a vinyl record the other day. It was Millie Vanilli's record. It was like a 45, is that what they call them? A smaller record, but it was it's vinyl. Brian, do you know Millie Vanilli? Um, yeah, I think so. It was the the great, they... they... Blame it on the rain. <laughs> yeah. See, yeah, yeah. It was a great. They the they they the lied. They lip synced. They lied. They didn't yeah, lip sync. Oh, yeah, I remember now. Yep, it was that. It wasn't even their song. It wasn't even their voices. Yeah, they they just they just performed. They right? just done robbed everybody. So uh, Don loved me so much. He gave me this album, and I'm pretty sure it's worth five grand. Five grand. Yeah. Wow. He said it was. He said it's it's worth money, and I'm what? I will I'm, buy that from you for four grand. Uh, you know what? I would do that deal. I'm willing to lose a grand on it. <laughs> if you'll just write me a check, Brian, that would be fantastic. Write me a check for four thousand uh, dollars right now. Talk right now, to, uh, Sports Nation. Yeah, see, yeah, uh, just so go I talk to get, the money guys. So I can, maybe I can get an advance on my season. Are, are you guys runners? Are we, you say are we winners? Runners, runners. Do you run? Oh no, Brian claims to be. Okay, here's. Do no. you guys know what they did a study on runners to find out what they're actually thinking about when they're running? Do you know what they're thinking about the majority of time? When they're going to be done? No, yeah, how bad running stinks. How horrible it is. Well, that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, that's what I think about before I start thinking about running. In a study out of a British Psychology Society posted this study. It says it turns out that 10 amateur long-distance runners, they tested what they were thinking throughout their entire seven-mile run. And he said in the study, 32% of the time they were thinking about the pain and discomfort that they were in. And 40% of the time, they were thinking about the pace and the distance, like, oh, downhill, don't kill yourself, just cruise, man, just cruise. And then the rest of the time, they were thinking about, oh, beautiful, it's what a beautiful ocean. Oh, and then I hope there's no snakes, stuff like that. But really, uh, about 70, what is it, 72% of the time, they're thinking about, this is horrible. Well, When's yeah, this going to end? Because I'm 90%. Oh, yeah, that's why I don't do it. I found it made me too negative as a human being. Too, too negative? You, yeah. Is it because you're, like, mad Brian still owes off. BYU Sports Nation a 20-mile week. Uh, well, September 3rd, I think. Is that when you're doing a 20-mile week? No, no. It's just a practice. I'm coming out to practice. Wow. Uh, with the with the cross-country team. Are you Are you really? Yep. Coming to practice, man. <laughs> this will be I got, great. I got, my short, I got my short shorts ready. <laughs> I got my headband. <laughs> I, I, I forgot about it because I cut my hair. I was going to have like, a little afro. but I'll Oh, go, that would look so good. Yeah, I'll buy a fake one. Yeah, you know, put on I've been, a fro. I've, I've, been, I've been, uh, been going to the gym oh, lately is... trying to get ready for it. Are you guys going to get video of this? Because I think this would be really great video. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Jerem yeah. said he's going to film it. And you're gonna run, but you're gonna run with him for a week, right? Because you got to give us twenty miles. Oh no, no, no! We scratched that. We just said, uh, you know, if one you day. Just come for one day, then. What if it's their long day and they're gonna do, go do thirteen miles? Are you okay with that? I plan to fake an injury at some <laughs> point. You know what? <laughs> Maybe uh, while I'm warming up. Plantar. I'm gonna pull a hammy. Pull a plantar fasciitis. <laughs> no one can deny it. I mean, it's just that's what studs get all the time. I mean, I've had it for two and a half years. Do you want to come with me? Do you want to join me? Do you know what I would? Is there a wheelchair division? Uh, oh, wow. Because <laughs> my leg's really hurting. Actually, it's not anymore because I got it fixed, but not to brag. Hey, are you guys still doing your show today? We are, but I'm so distracted right now. You know why? Why? Because I want some Milli Vanilli. Can you hear that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, there it is. True. Oh, yeah. Ooh, 
I thought it said oh, missing yeah, you. Um, yeah. Hey, I've got the vinyl. If anybody happens to have something I could play the vinyl on, um, like a record player, you know, I'd appreciate it. I think Don has one of those too. So if Don's listening, I'd like I'd like a record player now. You can buy one on eBay for like a dollar. Could I? I'm, I need uh, one. Yeah, probably so. Something um, like yes, we are doing what, a show. What, what, what it, what's your show going to be about? Tempers flared yesterday. I heard. Matt Townsend. That's cool. I read all about it. 45 Except minutes. You're not oh. supposed to talk about it, are you? Well, we can't mention specific names. I know. That's, yeah. You, give the details. But, the details. but so a bunch of people that are on the BYU football team, were they players and coaches or was it just player and player? It was players. But here's the thing. Like it was, it was the obvious minority of players that were in a skirmish. Okay, yeah. But the whole team was punished for 45 oh, intense I heard that. minutes. Yeah. So of it was, unanticipated condition. Mean, it was all the, all <laughs> Three the black, different guys collapsed. Know what you mean? Yeah. The people are throwing up. It was it was unbelievable. And that's with the new training fitness guy, right? That's well. Did, didn't Bronco he? Mendenhall taking back over the defense along with Frank Wintrick. Yeah. The new strength and conditioning. Cracking heads. Not a good combo as a for a player. Holy cow! Ooh, I bet yeah, those I, five. I felt oh. for the guys. Yeah, I bet. A couple of guys come out of the locker room after, and they're like. Dude, did you see that? <laughs> like, yeah, I saw it. See what we got to deal with, man. But, yeah, like, but they're athletes, and they were dying. Yeah. That would have killed the average Joe. So we are discussing why this is potentially a good thing. One, a good thing that there is passionate yeah. skirmishes happening. And two, why cracking down on things like that mm-hmm. and on penalties and stricter punishments can also be a good thing. There is some strong historical evidence statistically really? to show that when BYU has done this and Brian has been involved on one of those teams. <laughs> Brian started the fight, I'm it sure. It has paid off. Really? Yes. See, this is good because they ended with a fight. You can't be having fighting. I know. This is good. I like that. And there's evidence. So there you go. It's also a three-guest day. Wow. David Nixon on the show, former NFL linebacker, BYU yeah. TV analyst. We've got Kyle Davis of BYU Men's Basketball. The Marriott Center is done. They practiced there yesterday for the first time since the renovations. Mm. And we've got Paige Hunt, who starts a new wave of return missionary athletes at BYU. She's, she is coming off of a mission and returning for her junior year of BYU soccer. Man, the trifecta. You guys have a great show. There you go. And it involves some violence, potentially. This is exciting. Violence, missionary work, you know, just the average day on BYU <laughs> yeah. Sports Nation. The entire gambit. That's incredible. Great show. And um, Brian's going to talk about how he started a fight. Um, yeah, I started, but I didn't finish. So, <laughs> you know, being five, six and all, I yeah. would try to jump in. Yeah, Brian would throw a few face. punches and run away. Yeah, exactly. smart. I would run away. Or if I, could, if I didn't have a chance to run away, by the time the, the, the dog pile uh, increased, <laughs> I was able to – I was small enough to, to – yeah crawl under somebody's legs. That's the out. benefit of speed, Bri. So, exactly. You just hit and run. Yeah, that's exactly what you do. That's what uh, You're like a mosquito. Does. Yeah. Hit and run. That's all you got to do. Man. Well, I, I, I envy you both. It's going to be a great show. Stay tuned. Hasta la vista. Have a good one, boys. Girl, you know it's true. Girl, you know <laughs> it's true. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I, lo- I love you too. <sighs> we always like to end with a little I love you. It just is moving. Little Millie Vanilli celebrating Vinyl Record Day. Again, I'm honored. That's the vinyl that my boss gave me. Worth tens of millions of dollars. 
You know, uh, great show today. Uh, we always like to know to end, as you know, with a hero story. Because the heroes, really, you're all heroes. To somebody, somewhere, we all have a chance to stand out and make a difference. Five-year-old daughter saves mother and siblings from a car crash. Angela Shemansky was driving late one night with her five-year-old daughter, Lexi, and a four-month-old Peter in the car with her. They were headed home when Angela could feel herself beginning to drift off. She told herself she would pull over at the next town, get some rest before finishing the drive home. But unfortunately, she didn't make it there. The SUV traveled down a 12-meter steep embankment and crashed into a tree. Angela was knocked unconscious and suffered a broken back and other head injuries. The five-year-old Lexi woke up to the sound of her mother of her brother's cries and noticed that something was wrong. Adrenaline must have kicked in as Lexi unlocked the five-point harness lock on her car seat, opened the car's smashed passenger door, Climbed up the mountain steep embankment barefoot, by the way, and this decision turned out to be a miracle as Lexi was able to flag down two people, one being a paramedic, and they were able to help Lexi's mother and four-month-old brother to get to the hospital safely. Although all three passengers in the car sustained grave injuries, Angela Shemansky is grateful for the mature and quick actions taken by her five-year-old daughter. The place the car landed was nearly invisible from the highway, and therefore, had Lexi not escaped and climbed up the mountain, the family could have been killed. It was only because she came up, flagged the people down, that anybody would have stopped. They said, she said, it's crazy, the guy who came to see us in the hospital. He said the medics and the firemen needed ropes to get up and down the embankment, and she did it all barefoot. Today, Angela said her daughter seems to be blissfully unaware of how much her efforts helped save her mother and brother's lives. She just doesn't know what it means. She said she's just five years old and so happy to be home and playing with her dog and her ducks. Pretty cool. That's it. Uh, and again, I mean, Lexi Shemansky, the hero of the day right here on the Matt Townsend Show, one of Townsend's heroes. Seriously cool what uh, we as humans can do when we're when we're pushed to the brink, right? And um even in our innocence, you know, we're, we have this natural desire to, to survive and to, to live as well as helping others to do the same. We appreciate you folks. Again, we can't do the show without you. We do it Monday through Friday, 7 uh, or actually 9 to noon Eastern time. And uh, you can also follow it, find us on iTunes, on TuneIn, and on other um, uh, podcast sources. So look for us, folks. Until tomorrow, we'll be back again. Uh, Stick with us. Love the people you're with and make it a great life. Take care.